Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Net That Ball preseason. Today I'm joined by Gabriel at FPL Lens. I'm at FPL Nima. We're going to be looking at goalkeepers and defenders today with some analysis and rankings using Mariners power tables. We're also going to look at the uh, assets based on FDR stats and value. So we've got lots of exciting stuff planned, but as usual, we're going to start with the FPL philosophy. We're going to look at a few more teams and games matchups and just look at the tactical analysis of those teams. And then we're going to take you through. Um, before we get started, I just thought I'd say, um, obviously, if you find the show useful, if you get any benefits, please do hit like once you finish watching it. Um, it really helps the channel. And if you're new to the channel, do please hit subscribe. There's lots more preseason content coming with midfielders and forwards in the future weeks. So, yeah, how, how are you, Gabriel? I see we're both uh, in a Japanese kind of jersey. I didn't expect you to be wearing a club jersey, is that? Club? No, 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 no. Oh, it's a national this team, is, this okay. Is national. This is, we're, we're, both, uh, we're both representing Japan. Um, on the week of the assassination of the former prime minister, Shin, uh, Shinzo Abe, which was um, quite a shock, I think, I think to everybody, certainly in the country, mostly without guns. Um, but yeah, nice, nice to be here. Um, it's about 40 degrees here in the desert before noon. So um, I'll be staying inside for a while. So glad, glad to be virtual instead of uh, outside somewhere. So nice to see you, man. You too, man. And for anyone asking, um, it is like 2, 3 a.m. probably wherever Mariner is, Mr. 122nd OR, but He'll be back next week after his well-deserved break and holiday with the family. Um, so, yeah, he'll be back for the midfielders episode. Um, but, yeah, I think let's just give a couple of shout-outs in the live chat as well before we go into the philosophy. So, good to see Blue. Uh, Danube guy here first. Um, we've got Dav Harrison. Big shout-out to him. He's our first super hauler. So, got some exciting plans coming. I thought I'd just let everyone know. Like, we've hit 15 members now. So, we have our 14 haulers and Dav, our first super hauler. I'm going to update the like membership on YouTube to explain what everyone gets, but I've created a new Discord server, which is ready to go once Mariner's back, and we're going to get all the members um, into the server, and you can have more direct access to all three of the hosts, and we've got lots of cool features and bots in there, and just hopefully grow our close-knit community more so. Um, equally, I think um, I'm looking to maybe use some of the voice channels, and perhaps for like super haulers and above, like do some kind of like maybe 15-minute RMT audio call in there. Um, once a month or something throughout the season. So if you've got ideas about what you'd like to see added to the kind of different membership levels, please do let us know. Um, maybe, but yeah, we'll just we'll throw in a little philosophy lounge in there. You just slide in there, lie down on the couch a little bit, grab a drink and just uh, talk some philosophy. That sounds good. And obviously there'll be some uh, what are you waiting for t-shirts one day. So I think anyone who's like a consecutive subscriber for kind of six months will send you some uh, merch from Net That Hall. But I'm going to give a quick shout out to all the members actually before we go back to the live chat. So FPL Robbie was our first ever member. He's been consecutive for four months, so almost there with the t-shirt. Dread FPL, Craig P, William Podner, Kevin Rose FPL Sapper, Greenback Golf, Nehal as well, our friend, Daddy Bot, Jack Daglish, Sean Burke, Mike Halpin is here tonight, Doni FPL, Oscar Arias, and again, Dav Harrison. Big thank you, mate. So thanks to all the members. Um, honestly, you, you can't imagine how much we appreciate the support and We've got lots of big plans of how to keep improving the content you're going to get this season with that help. So good to see you, Jasper, in the live chat as well. Daniel Curtis, thanks for tuning in. Evening, mate. Hi, Christopher. Nice to see Christopher Barrington here. Um, FPL Mike Alpin again. Good to see you. Another shout-out to a member. Uh, L. Ron Cupboard, nice to see you, mate. Doni is here as well. Uh, FPL Dallas, good to see you. Who else we have? We have Steve. Um, evening, good to see you, mate. Um, he, he's a kind of torn between big at the back or 
for being an enabler to fund somewhere else. So we'll definitely get into that today. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, really excited to look at the content with you guys, Daniel. I think this preseason period is the most exciting when we can do lots of research, watch preseason games, see new signings and really plan for the weeks ahead. Um, and we'll definitely look at some of the Leicester players, I'm sure. Um, we've got Ricardo Pereira here at 4.5 being discussed. So thanks everyone for tuning in. I'll get the philosophy back up on the screen so you can kind of take us away to start the show game. Right, the philosophy this week comes to us from a uh, Polish-American scientist and philosopher by the name of Alfred Korsybski. And he says, a map is not the territory it represents, but if correct, it has a similar structure to the territory, which accounts for its usefulness. And this reminds me, there's this, there's this idea in kind of Eastern philosophy um, kind of that, that says the, the map is not the terrain. Like, don't confuse the terrain itself with the map. And as we get into the, the positions here in FPL, right, we're going to be looking at a lot of different metrics. Mariner has a ton of metrics um, for, for defenders. He has metrics for, for attacking defenders and so on and so forth. And we're going to have a lot of ideas and, and we may be bouncing them off of one another. Um, just, just note that all of the things that we say on this show, it's a representation. It's, it's, a, it's, our, it's our representation of reality. And you have a different view of that. And, and definitely like stick stick with your view, but understand that we can kind of, if we can agree on a common common structure, if we can find it, we can find a structure that's been working. And and what I mean is like, for example, Mariner's captaincy metric. Mariner's captaincy metric isn't really telling us anything about the reality of the game, but what it is telling us is that there's this structure that that we if we can identify, we can maybe make some predictions. To, and that metric uh, predicts 80% successfully. So it, that, it's pretty good, right? So judge things based on their usefulness and, um, and know that everything is just a representation of reality, not reality itself. Very uh, metaphysical there, I think. Um, <laughs> that's the first thought that comes to my mind looking at the quote from uh, Alfred Korsibski. Korsivsky, okay. Yeah, and no, you always try to uh, throw me with some of these. Um, luckily, Mariner's not here to roll his eyes with the philosophy this week. Um, I'm a bit more of a philosopher in uh, training, so at least maybe you can convince me to read a book. Um, I know you've been trying hard to convince him to read a book for like a whole season. I, I, I keep that. That fight will not end. And I think the first time I see Mariner, when I give him my hand, there will be a book in it. <laughs> Uh, ho hopefully by then he'll have finished reading uh, some of the FPL books he's been getting onto um, around the psychology of FPL. So we'll see how he gets. Not that we don't love you, Matt and, uh, and Ross and everyone else. But... <laughs> we just know Mariner, and like he, he, he's not going to read. Um, maybe an audible you'll listen to. Quick shout out to Steve uh, Sedman as well, who's tuned in, and I, I can't believe it. It's happened again. He's back here to talk about Cody. Fancy Pavilion. As usual, you can see the hat is always very close to me. If anyone in the live chat doesn't recognize, see, that looks very familiar, doesn't it? Thank you, Jared. <laughs> I'll let you uh, get onto the matchups then. So today we're going to obviously cover Leicester, West Ham and United. So perhaps these are teams that people are a bit more interested in. I know we've been working our way back from the table. And as we get closer to the start of the season, we're going to get to the bigger teams um, no offense to United being lumped in there with Leicester and West Ham. Sorry, guys. 
<laughs> I know, I know. So when I um, when I told Nima about like the 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 groups in which I was going to cover the matchups, and I just know that you were really happy I didn't place Arsenal in this group, and that I went with a group of three and didn't go with the group of four. I knew you were super relieved and appreciative of that. So, so yeah, this is um, this is a bit of a of a topsy turvy group, I think, with uh, with Leicester, West Ham, and United. And there, there are just a lot of questions with these teams <clears throat> and a lot of potential as well. Um, although so, somebody told me once that that potential is just um, kind of like expectations waiting to be unfulfilled. Like potential doesn't actually exist, but we assign potential to people. But anyway, that's a, that's a separate point. I want to start with Lester. And then the first thing you'll notice here in the, in the matchups uh, graphic is that there's no image. And that's... That's not because I, I had time. I, um, I worked on this for quite a while. I had time, but I don't know what to look for with Leicester. Leicester, they're a team with, um, with five attackers, right? Vardy, Daka, Nacho, Barnes, Madison. Each one good in his own right, minus Barnes, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, not Harvey Barnes. Um, but they, they play two similar positions. They, they, there's no formation really that can incorporate all four of them. Um, and, or sorry, all, all five of them. So I, let's see, I, I already forgot about Barnes. Um, so, so for, for that reason, they, they, I find them confusing. To get to the stats from the unexpected stats point of view, um, they are plus 8.72 expected goals, um, not, uh, delta non-penalty. So that's the, um, the goals, goals non-penalty minus expected goals non-penalty. And so they exceed like every everybody by far. Chelsea's second most with uh, plus two point nine four. So that this is like that they're them exceeding their their non penalty xg shows that kind of like any one of these players can is good at finishing at any at any moment. Still, the question is like how do you um, how do you operate them? Um, what's interesting is that their expected goals on target delta was only eighth best. So. They, they're good at exceeding the opportunities created for them, but not but less good at taking the shots, even though the shots are, are uh, much better than average. So um, I think that shows that belies maybe some inconsistency. There could be some inconsistency with the attack in terms of the finishing. And, and it could be a case of, I, I could see maybe a, a hot hand scenario here or a hot foot scenario. Uh, with, with the player that's in form will get the minutes. And we oftentimes won't know that because that form will come out in practice. Um, from a creativity perspective, uh, Leicester, obviously not good defensively. They conceded more big chances than, than Watford and Everton. They conceded 88 big chances last season. Um, and they're one of four teams along with Watford, Burnley, and Norwich to concede over 150 chances from the left. Um, now, we, we have to take in, into account that Leicester's back line was ravaged with injury last season. Um, so I'll, I'll be looking, paying close attention to their, to their defense, especially in, uh, in preseason, to see if they're showing some kind of what, what I'll be looking for is chemistry from, from the, the back four there. From a shots perspective, um, let's see. One, one of three teams, along with Burnley and Norwich, we're seeing a pattern here. They're good. Leicester is uh, defensively, they compare with Burnley and Norwich. Um, we're one of only three teams to concede more than 390 shots in the box. That's more than 10 shots in the box per match. Um, that, that's not very good, right? So 
Um, that, and I don't think that's just the question of the defense. I think some, I think there's some midfield responsibilities or even some tactical um, kind of holes from Brendan Rodgers. We've seen Brendan Rodgers in the past from a tactical perspective, just, just get in over his head. What comes to mind is a, I, I remember that that season where everybody everybody blames Jared for slipping in that lot and that loss to Chelsea, and they say that's why they lost the title. When really it was the next game or two games later against Palace when they blew a three-one lead, um, and Brendan Rodgers just kept pushing everybody forward for some reason. Palace came back and took the, took two points from them. That's where they really lost the league for me, and I think that's all on Brendan Rodgers. So I don't really trust him. Um, I, but Leicester do have you know like I mentioned potential, right? Um, so, so their, their assets are always going to be kind of on the radar on the watch list. Um, that says shots there should say goalkeeper. This was interesting. I thought so Schmeichel in game weeks one through 19, the first half of the season, he faced an expect, uh, an XG on target conceded. So this was kind of basically think of the quality of the shots against him that he's receiving of 25.5 and he conceded 33 goals. So that's a negative 7.5. Um, XG, XGP, expected goals prevented, which was last in the league, worse than, worse than Kroll. In the second half of the season, game weeks 20 through 38, he faced more difficult shots, 0.3 expected goals on target conceded, so more difficult shots than before, but conceded only 25 goals. So it almost flipped, and he went to a plus 0.3 goals prevented, um, which, was, which was best in the league in the second half of the season. So what Michael are we going to get and what went rush Michael would take like some some deeper analysis there. But that's something to watch as well. And and was Schmeichel largely responsible for um, for Leicester defensive frailties, despite all the chances that they conceded? I, th I think these are some things to watch for in uh, in preseason. That's what I got for Leicester. Yeah, I think it's just worth um, pointing out, as you say, that the defensive frailties um it did coincide with a lot of kind of injuries and unhealthy players in the back line. And I do wonder if this season with no kind of European focus, there's probably going to be a time when they're beneficial. Like there'll be a spell of games where we might want these defenders, for instance, in the fixture block. Mm -hmm. But for me personally, like, although there is some value in the wingbacks at 4.5, I just think there's better options, which we'll come on to later, that I can't see myself starting the season with one of the 4.5 uh, wingbacks from there. Um, on the attacker side, I think Vardy's that weird price point where he's kind of like, you know, there's there's no players within like one and a half million of him in his position. So he's on like a price island. And it, it kind of means that if you don't have him, you can't get to him. And if you have him, you can't get to the next level above. Yes, you could downgrade, but like there's no one at his price point apart from him. And for me, when I start the season, I think we talked a lot about in the previous episode, I want like flexibility in my structure. Right. So where you've got someone like a Gabriel Jesus, where something like, I think there's like potentially 15 players almost within one million of him that you can get to without having to leave any money in the bank. That just feels like a much more flexible start. But we know Vardy has been consistently starting off hot, hasn't he, a lot of seasons. And we always kind of don't go with him. And then he's at the awkward price point. We can't get to him in one move. And by the time we maybe do get to him, that that kind of fire has gone out. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a few Maverick managers start with Avadi. But personally, if I was going to go for one of the attackers, I really liked what I saw from Madison uh, the last few seasons. And I just think at 8 million with that whole kind of idea of players in 
kind of price points where you can move easily. I, I could see myself not starting with a Madison, but if he shows good form early on, I could very quickly jump to him if one of my other eight millions ends up not doing so well or you know, if someone like a Diaz gets injured or Saka doesn't play as often as we think. Um, there's a lot we don't know yet, right? All the research before game week one kind of gets thrown out the window once the first match has happened because suddenly the truth comes out and we see what teams are really doing and how they really appear. And I think two years ago, Liverpool won the league and they lost like all their preseason games. So, yeah, I, I, you know, like you can't put too much emphasis on preseason apart from building fitness, I don't think. But yeah, so all the yeah. research is great now, but what we know now is going to change very quickly within a week. And I wouldn't mind moving to someone like a Madison or a 4.5 Leicester defender and without the European focus, I guess, is my concluding thought. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And I think what holds us off is even more so than the price point is, uh, as for Vardy at least, uh, um, is the, the replacement options. I think there are, there are more affordable replacement options for certain with better fixtures, like uh, Gabriel Jesus is a perfect example. Um, and, you know, the, so they start Brentford and then Arsenal away, which isn't going to be easy. Then Southampton home. The Brentford and Southampton home are, are prime fixtures, right? And then they go Chelsea away. So it's Arsenal away, Chelsea away. Um, that could be difficult. Then they have Brighton away, which could be another difficult one from a defensive perspective. But, you know, when we're looking at like game week nine, for example, we could be, you know, we, we could be seeing certainly emerging assets. We'll, we'll get to the, the defenders later. But um, but Madison could be the the eight the hot eight point if you're rotating eight point midfielders right or eight assets in general you could go like from a Saka to a to a Madison in a game week uh, in a wild card after game week eight for example in that international break so their their fixtures line up really nicely for that wild card and I do expect a lot of people to be bringing in Leicester players after on on their first wild card. Yeah, that's a good point. Um... Just a shout out as well, Total Tactics FPL, another great YouTube channel. And um, I met Fran a few times and he's a great guy. I could see FPL Casuals, FPL Penguin tuning in as well. Nice. He's coming with Halland, Jesus and Watkins, but um, we'll look at that. We've got, we've got a Vardy owner here, a regular hauler comb. So I'd be interested to see if he's still in your team at the start of the season. And I uh, could see Christopher Barrington as well, but we'll, we'll come back to these. I think... Um, He's talking about Nathan Collins that recently signed uh, mm -hmm. to to Wolves and whether that makes the Wolves wingbacks more appealing. But I guess we'll we'll get to the defenders after the matchups. Let's um let's move on from Leicester. I just thought they were worth discussing because of the kind of the lack of European fixtures as well. Just to add that caveat and the idea that they could be people we pile in on in the first wild card, for instance. Um, I just think the early fixtures they're very uh, hot and cold and one good, one bad, one good, one bad. Um, it's not quite appealing enough for me to go with them at the beginning anyway. But yeah, why don't we go to West Ham then? Because this is another team that they played incredibly last year. Um, they got very far in the Europa League and they look to be strengthening. Um, if they do sign Dan Juma as well, that's another big move from them. Mm. And if they keep kind of Rice and Bowen, they do. I think we're going to get to a point where you could kind of say West Ham need to be in that discussion as one of the like top teams in the league. Um, I hate to admit it, but like I definitely think they're like in that kind of top eight or top six um, conversation if they keep strengthening and not lose their key assets. Yeah, I mean West Ham are interesting as well because uh, you know we saw them start really well. Um, you know we certainly had several of their assets to begin the season last last season, and that worked well for us. But um, 
and there's also a perception that they did well towards the end of the season as well through these tough fixtures and they did but statistically i thought it was interesting um from an expected stats point of view they had the highest expected goals on target delta so that's if you take the goals and you subtract the expected goals on target so the quality of the shot um theirs is at plus 7.43 which which means that goalkeepers allowed kind of plus 7.43 more goals than they should have based on the quality of the shot and and i i wonder if that kind of stat is really sustainable where we saw like bowen had 2.7 that and ben rafa had 2.28 of that um it could be argued that scoring more expected goals on target so scoring more than the shot quality you take there's some luck involved in that or based by goalkeepers I, i'm not really sure on, on that front so doing a little digging to get to the creativity in um again i'm noticing this kind of like split between the first half of the season and the second half so in game weeks one through 19 they were seventh tenth and fourth for chances created from the left center and the right respectively um in game weeks 20 through 38 so in the second half of the season they were 10th 19th and 20th chances created from the left center and right so it dropped from seventh to tenth on the left from tenth to 19th in the center and from fourth to 20th from to last um on on the right hand side and that's kind of where bowen plays so i'm not really sure what's going on there the uh the graphic there the the image from fantasy football scout of course uh they have some great heat maps and this is the chances created heat map first half of the season second half of the season you can see how the first half of the season on the left hand side there is just so much it's, it's just lit up much more um on on all sides so find that really interesting and a little bit concerning about west Ham. did they did they overperform given their chances created um and their potential luck in finishing i think they may have um and the, the one thing that interesting is almost from a shots perspective almost one of every five shots in the box was a shot in the six yard box for for west Ham um so that's a 19 percent and it, and it was yeah the best buy by a couple percentage in the division so i thought that was really interesting um the tactical focus here they signed they signed a center back i i don't know if that may if they're just strengthening if they're going to be shifting from a 3-5-2 to 4-2-3-1 i'm assuming the 4-2-3-1 should be their preferred formation um and yeah i, I don't know what to make of west Ham because of the kind of first half second half disparity no, this is really interesting. I think we look at kind of players like Sun, who regularly under, you know, have lower XG than they score. And I guess in the same context, the question is, do we consider the West Ham players as world-class as we consider Heung-Min Sun? Um, he's someone who maybe we're more willing to say can continue scoring because over five, six years in the Prem, he's well, here, every year over... Yeah, but let, let me get to the, the difference. The difference in that, so like Sun will is a player that will outperform his XG, right? So, yeah. so the XG, the, the the chance that's created, right? When he's when he's about to take the shot, um, he outperforms that chance. But these, this is like outperforming the shot. So imagine like after he takes a shot, say the shot has a, a post shot XG, right? And expect, XG expected goals on target of 0.5 right mm -hmm. and and the keeper lets it in that would be plus 0.5 like if it's 0.5 maybe the keeper should save it maybe it's a coin flip but I think I think it depends on other things as well but can you outperform your own shooting 
is that so it's almost it's fortune i guess you're saying so right. whereas sun is like being more clinical than the chance that he's shooting because xg is a pre-shot metric right um right. Right. you're looking at based on the post-shot numbers the teams they were facing maybe the goalkeepers or defenders who should have been blocking or whatever right. they were just kind of running around like headless chickens potentially um yeah, I, I do wonder if maybe um, they were just panicking at the pace of Bowen bombing down the wing on a counter-attack. Uh, maybe. Kind of shat themselves, maybe. Um, <laughs> but, but at what point do they kind of improve? Um, because, yeah, you're right. Even if these guys do really well, surely the opponents can't consistently underperform the saving to this level again. Um, it relies on a lot more things to go wrong. Whereas with one player being clinical, that's in their own hands, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I'd bring that up because for me, it felt like it was kind of in a similar train of thought, but I'm glad to get your opinion on it, um, on the differences between the two metrics. Um, I, I really like this idea that they're shooting um, one in every five shots in the box from the six. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. that they're number one in the division, but that's pretty interesting as well. So I, I guess it's interesting for me because someone like Antonio, obviously he was in hot form at the beginning and he kind of disappeared for a long time. He had like one goal in 10 or maybe less. And, so it's almost like despite the center forward not being the one on the end of these, they were still taking shots from the six. So was it the wingers running in? Like Here's what my, was happening? My, were they late runners? Yeah. My guess, and I haven't looked into it, it, it in more investigation here, but my guess is that there's from Cresswell corner kicks and, and the likes of Socek and Dawson and, and these guys in that six. Uh, maybe maybe those shots, those shots could be headers. Like so, set piece headers and... Um, do check late runs like we, we see him do it for his national team as well all the time right it's a it's, a, it's his play style like he he loves a goal um okay no that's interesting and i guess the other side of this is we've got to still see who they sign so i know you're updating these matchups um, as we get closer to the season so may, maybe we'll have a different opinion but for now again i think someone asked me how come i'm not looking at west ham plays in my game with one team um i think the biggest omission is not many people are talking about pablo for now and he's someone who really looked like he'd broken into the team and he was getting consistent minutes towards the end of last season. And he's a 5.5 mil mid, right? Compared mm -hmm. to the likes of Neto, Wissa, Elise, these guys. So he's another one for that kind of enabler midfield position. And I know when we looked at the fixtures last week, for anyone who didn't see the um, episode about fixture blocks and swings, West Ham have an incredible fixture block from kind of game week 7 to 10. Now, they do have some other okay fixtures a bit earlier on, but most of them are kind of like red in Mariners FDR. And we'll show them FDR after these matchups for you to see for yourselves. But I think that's what kind of puts me off. But at four nows, he could be very exciting. And I do wonder if, like, the likes of Neto and Wissa completely belly flop. Will we all be kind of moving to four nows? And is there an argument to maybe just start the season with him? Because he's a great player from what I've seen so far. And he's only going to get better. And this team, like, have a stable system. Like, they're clearly doing very well. And I I've been impressed with them, as I said. Like, I think they're in the discussions as like a top eight Premier League team now. And like I feel like they've proven themselves after the European pedigree last season. Yeah, I mean for for an enabler like that, I mean, I'm I'm assuming you would need him to play early on, right? That's the thing. He'd be like the third or fourth mid that I'm playing every week. Like he wouldn't be getting benched or anything. Yeah. Exactly. So so to go through those difficult fixtures that we were talking about that we'll, we'll get to Mariner's metric soon here. Um, with an, you know, with that kind of risky punt, 
um, oh, I guess it's not risky because he's cheap, right? But but it's risky in terms of opportunity. Like if you if you're missing out on a Wissa that that might have, you know, at the at least some checkered fixtures and, and not just a solid block. I mean, I don't, I think obviously City's a bad fixture. Um, I don't think Brighton's a good fixture. I don't think Villa's necessarily a good fixture. Then you have Spurs and Chelsea before getting to the to the run of Newcastle, Everton, Wolves, right? So you're probably not looking at them until game week seven, except for game week two, game week two, and then game week seven again. Um, so I, I think for now's and um, I think Tom from uh, WGTA spoke about him a little bit um, with Lucy on on their on their show. I think he's he's definitely one for the watch list, and and I think he could be the enabler starting game week seven. Um, but I think to start the season. I would probably go in a different direction. Even I think Jacob Ramsey's a good enabler, but we're not old. So we've already spoken about Villa. Yeah, no, I think that's a good shout because I'm more of a fixtures player anyway. So to kind of just go for him to save the transfer down the line when I might even be wildcarding by then, yeah. it, it just seems like I'll be missing out on the opportunity of getting an enabler that does have the better fixtures that I'm comfortable starting in every week. Um, cool, let's get to the next scene. But just before we do, just a quick shout out to One Life Soccer TV as well, I think. I see him on Twitter. He's a really great guy. Um, mm -hmm. I think he's a coach as well, Gabriel. So yeah. I've always seen he's got like a great tactical mind. So nice to see him tuning in. Um, and high FPL A+. Plus. Um, let's keep going. So I think the last one was Man United um, in here with the rest of the mid-table teams before we go to big clubs next week. Yes. Yeah, so I'm sure everyone is uh, keen to hear about Man United. And, and I wish I could... Um... Kind of like a satisfy. I don't think you're gonna be very satisfied with what what I have to say because I think Man United is still it's still a bunch of question marks right now. Um, I will just just to start off, I, I will turn you to um, Gian Gian Batra on on Twitter. I don't remember what his handle is. Maybe you can look him up while while I. Uh, yeah, I'll put it in look. the chat. I'll find it. Yeah, throw it in the chat because he he wrote a, a great thread on United and we're, we've had some interesting discussions around it. And I'll get to those discussions and what they, it means. It was a tactical discussion uh, shortly, but let me start with the stats here. Uh, from the expected stats, they're, you know, from an attacking point of view, you have Liverpool and Man City in tier one, and then there's usually a tier two of about like anywhere from three to five teams, something like that. So um, that, that's just kind of like how all the stats work, almost like across the board, the attacking stats. So uh, you kind of have to get used to that and see them in terms of tiers. So. Um, the United are in a second tier of teams with Chelsea, Tottenham, and Arsenal with a non-penalty XG between 58 and 65. Um, so it's pretty decent. Even everyone sees United. We, we have this perception of United that they are um, inept and they're like uh, football blue balls or something. Um, but from a non-penalty XG perspective, they're right in the mix with, with those other teams that, that did uh, pretty well last season. Um, the downside for United, of course, is that they're only mid-table for expected goals conceded non-penalty. Um, it's 57.35 over the season, um, and they conceded 57 goals, so it's, it's right on with their expected goals uh, numbers. But that's worse than teams like West Ham, um, Brentford, and Villa. So I, I think United, I think uh, Eric Ten Hag needs to kind of solidify that. We all know that the defensive mid-position needs some work, that they need reinforcements there. But, but not just there. They, they brought in Malasia. Um, they signed him as a left back. He's a left-footed left back that gets inside, makes kind of inverted runs. And I'll get to the tact that tactical element in just a moment. Uh, from a creativity perspective, 
they had the third most chances created from the left, which was interesting. And adding Malasia is, is I think, going to increase the reliance on chance creation from that left side. So I'd be looking to whoever plays on the left for United, um, including Malasia, at, at some point once they get their, if they get their um, their defense sorted. Um, uh, let's see. And they conceded a similar amount number of chances per nine from the left, right, and center. I, you know, I, I always thought for for some reason that United conceded more from their left. And then when I when I looked at it, um, you know, they conceded 3.18 from the left per 90, 3.08 in the center, and then 3.39 from the right. So a little bit more on the right, but it's, I think it's pretty negligible. Um, shots perspective, they have the second lowest um, ratio of shots in the six. So it's like the opposite of what we said with, with uh, West Ham, where 19% of their shots were of the shots in the box were in the six. Only 9.5% of United's shots in the box were shots in the six. And and when I'm working with these numbers, it's not like um, it's not like West Ham have fewer shots in the box um, in general. West Ham have they, they both have um, they both have over 300 shots in the box. So that was kind of like the, the number the baseline I was using there. Um, so that's not good from United. Um, so like tactically, I wrote here, uh, they'll probably stay with a 4-2-3-1 until Eric Ten Hag can figure out uh, what they're doing kind of defensively, but also figure out how to teach United to have sustained possession and fluidity of movement. I think those two elements will give United the um, like the safety net for when they when they have possess when they lose possession, it won't be in super dangerous areas, and when they lose possession, they'll be positioned well enough to recover from that loss of possession. Now, this is from Gian on Twitter. He says, um, United will play with wide wingers um, and and try to have the wingbacks make underlapping runs. Um, this is I thought this really interesting because Malasia is a left-footed left-back that's supposed to be making underlapping runs. So they're carrying the ball probably on the outside and underlapping while the winger is supposed to stay wide. This is going to isolate the two wingers. So if it's Rashford and Sancho, um, it's going to isolate them a little bit more. They'll be a little wider than we want. Um, but I, I want to see if if um, he puts Sancho on the left and Rashford on the right. Um, here I, I'm showing, uh, because the way things are right now, I think Rashford likes to run into space. And it looks like Malasia also likes to run into space. And I think I don't think that they have complementary skill sets. Sancho likes to play combination plays. So Sancho can get close to Malasia. Malasia coming from, from Ajax. Um, this is the system he grew up with as well. I think they can combine well on the left. I would play Sancho on the left, I think, in, in theory, and and try Rashford or, or uh, have Rashford compete with Ilanga or something on the right-hand side. But we'll see what Eric Ten Hag does. Yeah, I think it is interesting. Um, there was a lot of talk yesterday after the, was it yesterday, Liverpool-Man United friendly where Man United won their preseason cup Um I'm, I'm sure they were very happy to celebrate that. But um, Malasia, from what I've seen, like he is an exciting talent for the future. I do wonder if he will act as more of a backup to Luke Shaw to start with and start like Europa games. However, we mm. do know Luke Shaw is prone to breaking down. So there's no doubt that he could very much get himself into that kind of team and make that spot his own earlier than maybe many expect. But I'm not convinced he'd like be the guy who starts in the first game in that position. But... I, we'll I see, I suppose. It should be a comp like a straight up competition for that spot. I mean, well, one thing Luke Shaw does, and and this is a problem um, uh, Solskjaer had, and um, and what's his name Rangnick also had, 
is that when Luke Shaw plays, you have to shift Maguire over so far to the left to cover for him that you then the other center back, whoever it is, Varane or, or whoever it was um, before, um, has to shift as well, and that isolates the right back. So it, it destabilizes the entire back line when, when Shaw plays because Shaw can't get back quickly enough. Um, he, I, I don't think Shaw has the fitness to play Ten Hag's system, and Ten Hag is well familiar with Malasia. I think Malasia, if he doesn't start the first the first game, I, I think he should get in there because he does the the types of things that Ten Hag wants his team to do. He's a better passer than than Shaw as well. Although I think Shaw may be a better crosser of the ball. I'm not sure yet. So he might be an exciting one to watch if we want to move to a United defender in the future and he nails down that spot. Something I thought was really interesting is obviously Ten Hag's not had much time with the team. But something I saw, um, which I thought was quite telling, was I saw a few kind of, I guess, freeze frames from the match yesterday of United in and out of possession. And one thing I noticed is very quickly he's managed to, maybe it was just a screenshot, you know, st story doesn't show what happened before and after, but in the screenshots anyway, kind of when they were in possession, it looked like they were building up like City from the back. And when they were out of possession, it looked like they were pressing like Liverpool to get the ball back. And that's kind of how Martial got his goal with a very good press. Mm -hmm. So I was actually quite impressed that despite kind of me mocking United a little bit here and there and light jibes, I am a little bit concerned at how good Ten Hag actually is tactically and that perhaps they have found someone like their own kind of Tuchel or Conte who can come in and get more out of these players than perhaps they were able to do on the previous managers. So that does worry me a little bit. And obviously the window is still open and I know they've focused very long on Frankie. But as and when that gets wrapped up potentially, like it could very quickly start becoming a good team again. And I was kind of hoping it would take a few transfer windows. But just in that little preseason game, I don't want to get too carried away, but they look very organized under him. And I, I think what I saw from uh, Ranić he said it last season is, he said that the players just kind of went out on the pitch and just did whatever they wanted. They just kind of made it up spontaneously and that he'd given them tactical instructions and they just kind of didn't follow any of it. I think specifically pointing to the attacking players. But it definitely felt like already after a short time that they are kind of listening to the tactics and they respect the new coach. So that worries me. Um, in terms of assets, there were some questions in the chat as well just before we move on to the defenders for, for the rest of the show. Um, we're asking about the likes of kind of Sancho and Bruno this season. Marshall's a 7 million with CR7 leaves. Um, I guess what I would say there is like there's already people bringing in Rashford into their draft team. Um, I think if he'd scored yesterday, we might have seen like 50% Rashford in game with one. So thank God he didn't. Um, I'm sure you all know United have a massive global fan base and a lot of their fan base play FPL. So in any given season of FPL, United players will have higher ownership because United fans will buy them. A lot of them are casual players and give up FPL after a few weeks and those players will never leave their team. So it's like United players, if they're actually doing well, they bloody skyrocket. They're like 0.3 rise between game weeks. Um, they're dangerous if they're doing well. So I'll keep my eye on them a bit in preseason. Um, I do think Rashford obviously has not looked the same in the 18 months after his injury. But at 6.5, like compared to the barren land around him in terms of assets, if he even nails down a spot and looks slightly good, slightly improves that decision-making the final third, looks a bit like the Rashford of the seasons before that, he could be an incredible asset at 6.5. Like he, he, he could be massively undervalued. Um, I think Sancho's a bit more expensive, right? He's 7.5. Um, he, again, could be a great asset. 
And I think for 0.5 more at the start of the season, you can get so many of those great 8 million players we spoke about. So it's not worth that punt to me there. Right. If you had like a 6, 6.5 million spot and you need it in game week one, I'm not too averse to starting with Rashford if it looks like he is the starter in that position after we see the rest of preseason. Um, it's a punt, right? But like it's just, I would never have thought someone like Marcus Rashford would cost so little. Obviously, there's reason for it, but now they've got a coach and they seem to buy into his vision. And so I do think there is some exciting times ahead for him. But why don't you talk a bit about maybe Bruno and Ronaldo as well? Because people are talking about Ronaldo leaving. Um, I'm not sure he will. I don't think uh, Mendes has found anyone who wants to buy him. Um, Chelsea don't want him. Bayern don't want him. No, no one seems to want him. So, like, I have a feeling like he's not going anywhere. But hmm. I mean, well, just just on uh, quickly on Rashford and Sancho, um, they they do present like or uh, Rashford does does look like he could be good value if he if he gets regular starts and he performs. Uh, the way he has in the past, the, excluding last season. That's a lot of ifs and ands, though. Um, right now, these these players, are like what we're talking about, I think everybody's getting carried away for over one preseason game, both like Man United fans and Man United haters. I think everyone's getting carried away. Um, and and I, I think there were some, I, I think there are patterns, like the ones you mentioned, Nima, like, like the um, like being in the right position when you lose the ball and getting compact quickly, like these patterns that Eric Ten Hag, to your point, is has instilled in the team. But um, but as far as like players and positions, like uh, I, I would be throwing all these players on the watch list. I think if Sancho, if they get a new right back, if you know they get a new right back, or or another thing that Ten Hag could do is Bruno, since uh, if the left side will be Rashford and Malasia. The right side could be you could hold the right back and shift Bruno from central midfield. So getting into the Bruno talk here, um, going from that ten into the right side, which we've seen him do before. Um, when he move, when he shifts over to the right, his chance creation is usually higher. But if he shifts over to the right, maybe play some combinations with Sancho. Um, I think that could be interesting. So it's all going to just depend on how the tactics unfold for United, and and I, I think we just need more preseason for that. No, great point. I think just one thing worth adding is obviously uh, Bruno and Sterling now at Chelsea. They they are in this kind of semi-premium price point that Sun started at last season at 10 million. Mm-hmm. And with a lot of teams having two premiums already in kind of like a Salah and Haaland or if you're Andy Martin or De Bruyne and Kane, it is going to be very difficult if you've gone big at the back to get to that third kind of 10 million asset. And you might need to rip up your team or wildcard to get there. So if we kind of see Sterling or Bruno hit the ground and tactics mean that they're key players with attacking threat we might need to just be flexible enough to get to them and not kind of be stuck in our ways of not wanting them um i think bruno obviously um if ronaldo leaves which i don't think he will you know you never know he could even like play false nine at times right if marshall's out of form and he or he could at least play a bit more of an attacking uh 10 position as well maybe on the right wing as you're saying so I, i definitely think there's some exciting assets to monitor but for me United is probably still more of a monitor. Um, mm-hmm. The only one I might be able to start a season with, if I was super sold on him starting the first few weeks, is Rashford, just yeah. because he's so cheap. But outside of that, I don't see myself kind of going to any of them. So let's go to the kind of the goalkeepers, defenders, the metrics, FDRs, all of that. Before we do that, let's just give a couple more shout-outs to a few people who've joined in while we've been going through the um, matchups. So hi to Harry Dawson. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we have uh, Amund is coming as well. Bonsoir, my friend. JLo FPL, good to see you. 
he says United beat uh, Liverpool 4-0 because of the no Ronaldo effect. Um, yeah, so I guess th- there's also Ericsson, so we've not really talked about him. Um, I know it's not been announced yet, but I wonder what that means. Is he just rotating with Bruno? Where does he sit? Is it McFred still in the DM roles? The Young arrived. So I think, again, your match will probably be updated close to, uh, to game week one, and a lot will change by then. Um, before we go into the next segment, um, I want to make more use of the sea shanty. So I'm just going to bang it out while we have a quick sip of our water. And for a lot of the viewers who weren't here at the beginning, um, this is our new kind of intro-outro music. So please let us know in the chat if, if, if you like the new song. And um, if, if you're kind of finding this episode useful, please do hit like. Um, it really helps us. Um, but yeah, here's a little bit of a sea shanty for you to enjoy. <laughs> Great. So as if by magic, uh, the FDR summary from last week is now here for the fence. Um, for anyone who wasn't here last week and for the podcast listeners, I'll give you a very quick overview. So we have the kind of the net that hall defensive rankings for FDR on the left, but then we have the fantasy football hub FDR rankings. So what we've done is take a defensive average rank um, and rank them this way because there were some discrepancies. So there's some teams like Brentford where net that hall's metric thought they were ninth for defense, whereas um, the hub thought they were 13th. So they've kind of averaged it. Uh, ninth joint ninth so there's a few discrepancies like we had newcastle down at 16th on the fdr for the first five game weeks um hub had them up at ninth so we've averaged them down at 13th so just to read the kind of top teams so we've got man city and liverpool tied in first on the average ranking chelsea in third spurs in fourth brighton in fifth arsenal in sixth crystal palace in seventh aston villa in eighth brentford west ham and wolves all in ninth it's kind of going back to what we discussed with the free matchup teams um See, Man United's 12th, Leicester's 15th. Um, you know, like, th- these aren't teams I want to be starting my season with. Um, yeah, like, n- n- no chance by me. Um, I-, I just can't see an argument to start one of their defenders for the first five weeks. Um, is there anything, apart from the kind of discrepancies between Hub and Net that Hall's defensive FTR, is there anything else that you, you feel like particularly calling out, or should we go to the kind of more, more of the detailed content? Do you think that's good enough to give an overview? Yeah, that, I think that's a good enough overview. I would say keep an eye on Brighton as we go through uh, mm-hmm. through these assets. I think they're a, a team that few people are talking about these days. Yeah, no, that's a good shout. Um, I have Dunk in my draft. He's been in my draft from the beginning. I might downgrade him to like a Neko Williams to save half a mil, but but we'll see. Um, I, I really like him. Um, I, I can play him in certain weeks and bench him in others at that price point. I think the only reason he got a price drop to 4.5 is because of um, some of the injuries last year. So this was kind of the FDR comparison gaming one to five with net that hall. Um, for anyone who can't see on podcast, I'll just kind of read it out. So I think we've got Man City was first for us with an 11.2 across the five gaming. So that's an 11.2 green. Uh, Liverpool was there as well with 9.9. We then had a Spurs at 6.6. We had a Chelsea at 6.2. Arsenal at 4.9. And... Um, the only other real ones of note are Brighton at 3.1 over these five weeks. Um, in terms of really bad ones, I guess it's just worth calling out. So, uh, Bournemouth were a minus 10. So, that's a huge 20 point swing the other way in terms of negative. Um, so, that's these numbers are cumulative um, from one through five, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, it's for all five weeks uh, combined. Um, then you have kind of Southampton minus 9.4 for the first five, uh, Nottingham Forest minus 9.2. We have Newcastle at minus 6.6. We have um, Fulham at minus 7.7. So obviously the promoted teams have a tough start. 
Um, we're not very hot on Newcastle for the opening six. Um, we'll look at that more. United is minus 4.1. And then there's some kind of like teams like West Ham and Wolves that are kind of neutral. They're, they're not really great or bad either way. Um, there's obviously the individuals. I won't read those out. If you're listening on podcast, um, if you go to the 48-minute timestamp, you'll, you'll see the screen grab of kind of each team, their first five opponents and the individual FDRs rather than the combined FDR for the first five weeks. Um, and it can help you. But I think this is why we're seeing bigger the back, right? So immediately you can see that from the kind of the shortlist of teams we were talking about, the big teams, the top six teams of last season, most of them have an incredible start from a defensive FDR point of view. And it makes it really hard not to kind of go with them. It, even though there's value 4.5s and 5 nils out there, mm. it kind of feels like a no-brainer to be starting with a Liverpool City Chelsea defender, maybe some kind of Spurs asset, um, even Arsenal at 4.5, right? Um, that's kind of my biggest takeaway. Like, it just doesn't seem like the position to start game week one with and go for like a punt. Like, it just doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for for those assets, it's going to be the balance, how, how we balance it. Do we go one from each team? Do we go heavy on one team and heavy on a, and lighter on another team? I mean, if you go, if you double up on one team that, you know, if you double up, say, on the, the Liverpool defenders, that means you might not be getting a Chelsea defender. Um, and and then and then how do you combine it with, with the goalkeepers? The, the, the one thing I'll say about the promoted size, I think Mariner takes their, he takes one third of, he takes two thirds of their championship stats away or, or like makes it, you know, two thirds worse, I guess. Um, I guess statistically, um, that's kind of how it works out. Think of Tony last season, right? He scored, what was it, 13 goals? Um, and he scored like 31 in the, in the championship the, the year before that. So it's going to be a, roughly that. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I don't know, like, like it's, it's balancing the attack and the defense for me. Like it says Man City here at 11.2, but how many, def- how many defenders from Man City can you get? And which ones are rotation uh, prone? Um, Liverpool, you know, maybe Trent and Robbo might, might be nailed or, or Van Dijk will certainly be nailed. So do you go more heavy on a Liverpool defense since they're more nailed? And, and so you got to kind of find the opportunity and expected minutes as well. That's a great shot. I think the goalkeeper point is worth looking at as well so something i've been looking at is i toyed with um edison in a draft and i was kind of convinced you know he's going to get a certain amount of points it's great you know the city and Liverpool will probably get the most clean sheets um but then it got me thinking um i've already got Cancelo and halland and if i lock in edison i don't want to be changing goalkeepers and although we don't think any other city attacker is nailed what happens if a couple weeks in like you see someone like a Mahrez or a Grealish or a Foden suddenly look amazing and like you want to get on them and you've locked yourself out with that defensive asset just because he was like value at 5.5. Um, so that's kind of made me err a bit more on caution. And mm-hmm. it's actually got me leaning a bit towards Larice, who obviously appears here at 6.6. And I'm sure we'll talk about Spurs and I know you've got some stuff about Perisic, but um, I've not had Perisic in any drafts yet. I, I, I wasn't kind of leaning that way despite the close to 50% ownership uh, so far, um, which does scare me. So Seeing a kind of 4 or 5% owned Lloris at 5.5, he did incredibly well. You know, he, I think he was the second highest goalkeeper last season. And this is despite Spurs going through a horrendous spell before Conte came. So it's like, even with that crap period, he still did so well, made incredible saves. So, like, you know, there's Kane and Son. I can't see a world in which I'd have both when there's also Salah, Haaland. If Haaland flops, maybe Salah becomes like a, um, a Son or a KDB 
or a Kane, but I can't see myself getting both their premium attackers at any point. It would just be one probably because of the other premium assets I want in attack. Perisic, I'm not so hot on. So is Lloris like actually a better shout for someone like me where I can say and forget him because I don't need that third first spot because I'm on like, you know, if I've just got, say, uh, the goalkeeper, Lloris, and one of the premium attackers at some point, Kane or Son, I still have a third spot open anyway if a value in like a Kulusevsky appears or a Richarlison. But where it's City, I just feel like there's so much upside in City. I don't want to lock myself in with the goalkeeper despite the great FTR. So that's what that's just a key thing I wanted to get out there. Um, and then in terms of, I guess, Liverpool, I think Trent at 7.5 is great value. So obviously a lot of people, nearly everyone will start with him, I'm sure. The biggest debate there, I suppose, is do we see Robertson at 7 million as better value than um, Diaz at 8 million? Now, I think you can't look at it in isolation, right? Because if you've got Diaz, you probably have like a 5 mil defender with it. There's probably a lot of good 5 mil defenders. If you have Robertson at 7 mil, yes, he's 1 million cheaper than Diaz. But does that mean that with Robertson, you've got like a 5, 5.5 mil mid? Is that combination of Robertson and a cheap enabling mid worse than Diaz? And so I think this is, again, where combinations come into it. Because on paper, I'd love the Robertson-Trent double-up with Salah as my third. But again, I just, I feel like there's so many value defenders. I don't want to double up on Liverpool defence either. So that then leaves who? Chelsea, right? So we've seen teams with James and Chilwell. Um, James is almost 50% owned already. Uh, Chilwell's just like 11%. They're both 6 million. That feels incredibly low. Um, Some people have asked in the chat about, you know, Shamir um, from Fantasy Pavilion as well. Big love to you. He's asked obviously about how do we feel about the potential coming transfers. I know we've seen Koulibaly's like signed. Um, there's talks of Aki. If they don't get Aki, there's someone else they're after as well. Um, so I would say that for me personally, like I think this whole idea of them going back to a back four is being overblown. Like we're talking about these Liverpool and City fullbacks and like they will play a back four and I wouldn't just write off the kind of Chelsea wingbacks personally gave because they moved to a back four. Like I know it's a new system, they'd have to learn it. Mm. But I think bringing in Koulibaly to replace Rudiger if they stay in the back three and they bring in Aki as well, then actually, like, I can't see a world in which I wouldn't have one of those two fullbacks. And for me, the question actually is, do you have, like, which fullback from Chelsea and do you double up with Mendy at five million? Like, is that half a million saved from, like, Lloris down to um, Mendy? Is that worth it? Because, again, I can't see myself wanting, like, three Chelsea players anytime soon in the first few weeks. So maybe I could live with a Mendy and a Chilwell or a Mendy and a James, leave one spot open in case like Havertz or Sterling breaks out or Mount breaks out. Um, So that was kind of just my initial kind of thinking. But yeah, I think the goalkeeper you need to think about, yes, it would be great to get them because they're much cheaper this year from the premium teams. But is that going to block any potential down the line? And for me, having that city spot open for an attacker that might emerge or having um, that kind of Liverpool uh, combination with a, better defender and Diaz just seems more value. So Chelsea is the only one I can see myself personally doubling up on. I mean, like doubling up, but I feel like I've kind of um, verbal diarrhea there. So I'll let you unpack that. <laughs> no, but you, you, uh, you did hit on several, I think, key points that, that I think are really interesting in regarding combinations and goalkeepers. So the, um, the FML FPL guys were having a really good conversation about goalkeepers and they kind of turned me off of uh, Ederson. 
because Ederson yeah, shout is out to them by the way they were the yeah. first podcast I ever listened to when I started playing FPL same here <laughs> they, they were first um and Ederson just doesn't get bonus points I think he had three or four bonus points all season last season despite having over 700 baseline bonus but it, their midfielders just rack up so much baseline bonus that Ederson is rarely in the bonus points. Allison is really interesting because he's he's the goalkeeper that has the most bonus points or that had the most bonus points last season. But again, that ties up a Liverpool spot. But when you if you're comparing, if you're thinking Robbo at 7 mil versus Allison at 5.5 to save 1.5, plus you're getting, you know, a player that had, um, let me see, what did he have, 15 bonus points last season. So you're looking at almost a bonus point every other game. That's not bad. Um, I guess Robbo as well, like he probably like, you could say he outperforms maybe his expected assists and mm-hmm. ha, like how likely is that to continue going for a long time? Whereas with Allison, like you're confident in the points you're going to get. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think Allison has gone, I'd, I'd have to go back and, and look, but they mentioned like um, basically almost right around 100, within 10 points of 170 points for the last three seasons. Or, or at least it works out that way per game. I know there was a one season he was injured where I think he hurt his knee early on, something like that. Um, so I, I've been looking more, and, and I think Loris is nice because he does get saves. He does get bonus points. I think he had 11 bonus points last season, which is pretty good, and he had over 700 BPS. Um, so I, I actually, I, I've been trending more towards the Loris side as well, but also because I don't want any, any, uh, any Spurs defenders. I don't want Dyer. I don't want Doherty. I don't want Paris. I think Dyer scored in preseason. You sure you don't want him? Positive. Now, <laughs> now I'm convinced even more. I hope a lot of people go for him. Um, I, I don't, I don't want any of these people. I mean, the, the Perisic hype is, I think, has been hilarious. When, when, when he was with Conte, he would often be subbed at, at, at less than sixty minutes because he's, he's old as fuck. So um, he can't run the way Conte. He knows what. He's a good example of what Conte wants to do. So he's a good model for the players. He's a great buy for Spurs, I think. But he's going to be playing like half the game, every single game. You're going to get a bunch of one-pointers from Perisic if he's healthy. So um, I think he's a hard avoid for me. And and Lohis is the the, the kind of the best way into Spurs attack and uh, Spurs defense, in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's what I've started thinking because I, I can't see myself going for Perisic. Um... If I was going to go for him, I will say this for everyone who has him. Um, I do think the start of the season is the time, just because um, they'll want to bed him in. And for those first four weeks, there's no European games just yet. But what people haven't been talking about a lot, and I think Zoff from The Wire said this, he's surprised no one's talking about this. Um, they've congested all the group stage games, like I think it's six matches, before the World Cup in November. And if it's, if it's not in the first four weeks, then does that mean September, October, November, including a two-week international break in there, in that very small window of like eight weeks, it's basically a midweek game every week. So these guys are going playing three games every seven days once that starts. So that's why I would say if you are going for a Perisic, I don't mind it as a shout for game week one, just because his high ownership could obviously destroy you if he does start them all. Um, we know he can, he's capable of insane attacking returns. If he had double-digit attacking returns last season, Obviously not in the Premier League is the caveat. But um, if there was a time to go for him or any of these kind of more exciting fullbacks, I think the beginning of the season is the time before Champions League and Europa League kick in. And then maybe it is that you do need to move off him later. Whereas we've seen kind of Spurs FDRs defensively longer term than even these first five weeks. And 
they look pretty good for quite a while. So mm-hmm. actually, I wouldn't want to kind of go for him and then make that move later. So I am really leaning towards a Larissa at the same price and just kind of keeping him long term and not messing around with that goalkeeper position till my first wild card. So that's my thoughts there. Um, there's a lot of teams looking at Sun to start with for Kane. Some have Kane over Haaland. Some have um, Sun as well as Salah and Haaland. They've kind of snuck him in and you, you don't want to see the rest of their team structure, but they, they've managed somehow. Um, they have like your favourite boy, Matip, instead of Trent. And they have, yeah, stuff like that going on. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the back line looks a bit rogue. Um, the bench looks even roguer than most benches that are already rogue. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, I think that's a big point on Spurs. Like, um, Kulusevsky as well. Like, I know a lot of people would be interested in him at 8 mil, another one of those 8 mil assets with Richarlison banned for game week one. But I think that's bad news because it means because he's banned in game week one, we won't get any insight into what that rotation will look like across the front four. So, again, I think he's a hard avoid for me. Yeah, he's a big hard avoid for me at Kulusevsky for now. Um, he's at a price point where you can get to him if you start with someone else that. I think for me, like a Saka or Diaz, they're the standout eight million uh, midfielders. But it is about defenders, so I'll go back to that. I know it's about combinations. Um, so I guess just let's let's. I think everyone kind of understands the appeal of Chelsea, City, Liverpool, Spurs. We talk about why don't we talk about the cheaper assets in like Arsenal, Brentford, Brighton, who we said all of them have pretty appealing starts. Um, they have much more affordable assets. Um, Leicester's worth a call out because a lot of people like to look at their four point five fullbacks, but. You know, the first five that face Brentford, Arsenal, Southampton, Chelsea, United. The other one, a minus 5.4 FDR for Mariners metric. Um, doesn't look so appealing. Again, it kind of feels to me like a wait and buy or first wildcard kind of scenario here. And like, obviously, Ricardo and like Justin, there's lots of fullbacks that are exciting there. But I think it was Castagna last season as well. Like, it, it's just not for me with those fixtures. I'm a fixtures boy. But um, going back to Arsenal, they have 4.9 in the first five weeks. Uh, Brentford have won, but they do have some good ones there. Um, maybe they can be benched in some of the tougher games. Brighton have a 3.1. They have some pretty great games as well. They said I've got Dunk right now in a draft. Um, even Crystal Palace doesn't look bad at 2.0, right? I mean, those are all teams worth calling out because they all have good options at 4.5 and 5 million. Um, are, are you looking to start the season with any of those defenders? I know Tommy Arsu's in about 20% of teams at the moment. He's probably the main one that I've seen. I, I think it's uh, the conversation that I would that I'd, I'd like to start is the Arsenal defenders versus Brighton defenders, the mm-hmm. four fives, uh, the Tomiyasu's and Ben White's of the world uh, versus the let's see who Dunk, right? Yeah, he's four point um, five. Yeah, four point five. Lamptey's four point five. Although I don't know if he's going to start or if it'll be Sully March on that right hand side. Um, Kukurega, he's, we don't know if. It, if he's he's 5.0 though, isn't he? Yeah, but I think if he goes to City, that will throw up a whole nother conversation and look at this. If Kukureya Kuku goes to City, he'll have higher ownership than Hol- than Holland. He'll be the highest owned bloody defender come game week one. My God. If, and, and then <laughs> and then Kyle Walker will start, and Cancelo will be on the left. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, but but yeah, I, I think that's a conversation worth having. Just Arsenal defenders versus Brighton defenders. Um, the Brighton, let's see, I don't know. Like, I, the, I guess according to the FDR here, the Brighton fixtures do look a little bit better. Um, Palace away is difficult for Arsenal. Leicester, Leicester can't score. We we talked we talked about that earlier. Um, and Villa can score as well. So it's just kind of like the Bournemouth Fulham fixtures. 
And then for, for Brighton, we're looking at um, Newcastle home, maybe, but Newcastle's attack is much improved as well. Leeds home, again, maybe, but yeah, I guess they lost Hafinha, so that's pretty good. And then Fulham away is, is pretty good as well. So it's one could make the case that, um, you know, that, that dunk over Tomiyasu. Are you going with both? Are you are you favoring the Brighton player? What do you think? So so I have both at the moment with a dunk on the bench against United. Um, I like Tomiyasu. Um, I, I really like, he was, well, like, that's why I'm wearing the Japan jersey. Well, to be honest, I bought this jersey before he joined Arsenal because I just think it looks fucking sick. But um, <laughs> also, I spent six months in high school in Tokyo when I was 17 for any new listeners. So I have a bit of a weird backstory there that you'll find out about in the members' Discord, I'm sure. I'll tell you more about the dark nights in Roppongi pretending to be over 20 so I could access drinks and they thought I was a gaijin. But um, that's for a different day. Um, yeah, no, I love Tomiyasu. For me, he was like one of our best players last season. He, he, he was honestly like just so assured, so two-footed. Um, he covered for any of the kind of the weaknesses of Ben White. He, he, he was incredible. Um, I think Ben White, he is also in some teams, but it's not for me because as um, Mike Halpin has asked in the chat, it's obviously going to be interesting to see what happens with Saliba. And he, he can obviously cover that right back role, uh, right centre-back role. I, I don't want to necessarily go for Ben White for that reason. Gabriel's too expensive for me. Um, Tierney could be amazing. I've seen him on some of the... Uh, now that kind of FPL optimised have come out and FPL review data has come out with the predicted season data. Tierney does show up very well, but... I just can't go for a player that I know that has burnt me so many times with his glass legs. Um, it's not for me. Um, so, so, yeah, I can't go that way. So, for me, if, if I'm going to go for the back line, it would be Tommy Asu. I'm not willing to pay $5 million for Ramsdale because um, someone had asked about Ramsdale. I'm not willing to pay that when Mendy is $5 million, um, when Raya is four point five, when Sanchez is four point five. I'm not paying 5 for Ramsdale personally. Um, Tommy Asu is the one I really like the most. Um, and he's currently in my team. Interesting you ask. So when I was looking to bring in Neko Williams to free up half a mil, maybe it's my bias, but it was Dunk I kept removing because I kept telling myself, well, if Dunk is on my bench in game with one, why would I sell Tommy Yasu and not the one who's on my bench? Um, mm -hmm. And then maybe that half a million gets me. Um, I'd only do it if it got me an upgrade, basically. Um, so, yeah, you might see me get really hyped and get half a million to buy Rashford, but um, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, no, I, I like both of them. I think Brentford's also worth a call out. I don't think they're as good as Brighton, so I probably wouldn't start there. But I know that when we look at the power tables of individual players and 4.5s, maybe we go to their next. Actually, let's, um, let's go to some of the next. Because there's a lot of rich data that I think we're talking about anyway. So it'd be good to have it visually up on screen for everyone. Oh, God, Ahmed knows about Pongi. Um, so just quickly before we go, I'm going to try and use his uh, Scandinavian support here to pronounce. I'm going to say Haaland the way I've been saying it this whole time. And now I'm going to try and say it the way he's told me to say it, which is, for anyone, yeah, so it's, what is it? Holland. There you go. Holland. Holland. Tell My us how is. we did, Amon. Yeah, tell us, let us know if it's Holland. For anyone mm. who doesn't know on podcast, say the word horny and replace the RMY with land. Holland. Cool. Holland. Good luck, guys. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I know I'm a bit immature. But um, just before we look at the power tables, a quick thing. So the blocks... Liverpool and City are long-term holds. So I think even though I was talking about not wanting to lock out your first spot with Alisson or Edison, if you did get them, you would have to commit to that strategy. You can't be taking hits to sell them to then buy another one of their attackers from those teams. Mm -hmm. If you're going to go the whole hog, you need to keep them. These guys have great fixture block throughout. 
Arsenal have a decent block between two and five. Brighton have a good block between four and eight, which is, again, one of the reasons Dunk is in my team, not for game week one. Chelsea one to seven. So, again, I could see a reason for the Mendy and Chilwell or Chilwell and James double up there. Spurs is game week three to six. So, unless it's Lloris, I can see an argument to wait. And actually, their good fixture block coincides with Europe starting. So, not ideal. West Ham's block is seven to ten. So, that's, again, quite exciting um, long term. Um, you could maybe move there. And there are some decent options if it doesn't go well. Um, and then jump off. So we've said here Wolves is a jump off at game week six. Um, the numbers aren't great anyway. They only have one or two positive defensive FDRs in game week one and five. And then it gets really bad. So although Johnny's exciting, I know he could be good. Again, I don't see myself starting with Wolves and wanting to sell a 4.5 million defender six weeks in. But if you did, you could do like Johnny to a West Ham defender. That could be the switch you make. Um, and for anyone watching on video or if you're on podcast, one hour, eight minute timestamp, you can see the screenshot of the fixture swings and blocks for defense. Um, kind of Arsenal, Villa, Brighton, Chelsea, Spurs, West Ham, they're all kind of highlighted in the FDR table, which I'm, I'm not going to kill you all with, with the data. Let's briefly look at these rotations. These are interesting. Um, and then we'll go to actual individual players at different price points because there's a lot of slides to go. Um, I think we might need to start rattling through. So we've got a Palace-Brentford rotation, a Tottenham-West Ham rotation, Arsenal-Tottenham rotation, and Arsenal-Newcastle is a great rotation. So like Tomoyasu and um, Trippier, like that could be an incredible rotation that gets you Forest, Leicester, Bournemouth, Fulham, Villa, Palace, Everton. I really like that. In fact, I think Arsenal-Newcastle can rotate all the way to game week 38 as it stands without facing a top 16. So they're not even just for these mm -hmm. first few weeks. They are... A fantastic rotation going forward. So, um, even Arsenal Tottenham. So if you did want to go for um, a Perisic and a Tommy Arsu, for instance, or White, Southampton home, Leicester home, Wolves away, uh, Forest home, Villa home, Fulham home, Everton home. So again, there's there's great option there. Tottenham West Ham allows you to get the West Ham defender early now, and not wait till their fixture swinging in week seven. Palace Brentford's a really interesting one because they both have decent FDRs for the first five. And you can cover some of their worst fixtures. But even with the rotation, it's not for me because it still has like Arsenal, United, uh, twice United, in fact, actually. And then Newcastle yeah. is away. So it's not ideal to me. But I know Mariner just wanted to mess around with the FDRs, find four rotation kind of blocks that could be interesting. But again, one hour, 10 minutes for anyone on podcast, if you want to have a look at the individual FDRs. And I'm going to bring you back in, Gabe, because now we're actually going to look at kind of like goalkeepers from these teams. We talked a lot about these guys, but let's actually look at like individual rankings of them against each other rather than what was perhaps our subjective opinion before based on just the team FDR. Now we've got the power tables for goalkeepers. So this is super exciting. Um, this is all thanks to Mariner again. So hopefully he'll be back next week, as I said. But um, why, don't, why don't you take this one away? And It, it is fascinating, isn't it? Like um, Ramsdale is here despite why I said shitting on him earlier. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if we've been talking about good Arsenal fixtures, right? Um, and when we all want Arsenal players, we're looking at Tomiyasu. Sometimes some people, I think some initial drafts were doubling up with Ben White and Tomiyasu, right? Um, then then Ramsdale certainly has to be a, a consideration. Um, but I mean, it's it's your, it's the usual suspects. What's in, what I find interesting is that uh, Loris is above Ederson. And when we, when we go like across the stats, so I'm just going to rattle off, off what, what the categories are for the people on the podcast. So we have price, minutes, clean sheets, goals conceded. I'm um, assuming this is all per 90, right? 
No, yeah, I, so um, I don't know what that is. Just double check. I don't know what that is. So um, no, so I think yeah, I'm trying. Which column are you talking about? Sorry, the. I, I just I just want to name them all. I don't know what the this. Oh, yeah, no, it's, so, so it's I think the it's, rank. It's the rank. I think it's just the, the rank. Yeah, so 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 so, so the numbers aren't even metrics. They're just like with each metric, what's the rank, and then the aggregates from the far right. I think, but right. So it's yeah, so like for, for minutes, say percentage. Yeah. Um, what's PPS? Points for, I guess, save maybe. <laughs> the, who knows? Like that, that one will have to oh, that, that one's very predicted, point, predicted points. Maybe first for predicted points, joint second for predicted points. Yeah, we, then we got BPS for 90, value, FDR, um, prod, who knows what that is. And then their, their ultimate rank. And uh, Loris is in, in second place here. And I think where he beats Ederson quite a bit is. Well, the value, I'm not sure how Mariner de determines that value. Um, so I think the value was based on like the price and the um, the points output last season. Mm. Yeah, like almost like a points per million version of his own. I see. And, and, and so like it's much better value in terms of the of the, of the points there um, for, for Lohi. So, so I think that's interesting. But one of the rotations was Palace and Brentford, right? So just just looking here, we have uh, Guaita or whoever it's gonna is gonna be in goal for Palace and and Raya ranked pretty highly, um, you know, fifth and eighth respectively. So if you did want to play that rotation, I think that's uh, that's an option if you're into the goalkeeper rotation. You know, we've mentioned on on previous shows that the reason we don't like goalkeeper rotation is that when a goalkeeper has an unexpectedly good performance. Or, or a top team has an unexpectedly bad performance, usually you miss out on a haul from that goalkeeper. Could be 10, 11, 12 points, uh, depending on what happened in that game. So I, I prefer to just stick with, stick with a goalkeeper, keep them in there, and know that the goalkeepers aren't going to be too different at the end of the season, and at least get those hauls um, and instead of trying to predict the outcome there. Yeah, I think to maximize points, obviously rotation of like two cheaper defenders could match the output of one of these more premium ones that costs a million more. But mm. there is a big chance you're going to make some errors. And when you bench like the defender against a bad team, like a bad fixture for them, so against a good team, that could be when they inevitably save a penalty in hall. So yeah. it is too risky for me. I have historically never really gone for premium goalkeepers. So most of my preseason drafts so far were kind of Raya. I then kind of tinkered all the way up to Edison, as I said. I looked at Mendy. I'm now thinking about Lloris. Um, it's very odd for me to be looking at this kind of 5.5 million defender goalkeeper price point to start a season with. Um, I'm not quite sure what's happened to me with the time off. Clearly, something's gone wrong. Um, well, I'm, official FPL changed the pricing. You know, the, that's what it is. It's just so appealing suddenly. Well, the, I think that's that's one way they've really made the game better is that now now we have a decision. You know, we're not going to get a goalkeeper from a top team at 6.0. We're just not going to do it. We can get a defender with bonus point potential, with goal scoring potential, etc. Um, and we'll never go for the goalkeeper. But now with the pricing that changed, like in seasons past, Ramsdale would be 5-5, Mendy would be 5-5, and Loris, uh, Allison, and Ederson would be 6-0. And we'd rather just go for those defenders in that case. But now we have decisions to make, and the goalkeeper... And, and I think maybe that's what gave rise to the goalkeeper power tables. It's uh, it's thanks mm -hmm. to the official FPL giving, giving us a decision to make. So now Mariner has made a metric, which is super exciting. 
I think just to um, add, like Neil Zappos in the chat, he says this is exactly what happens to him um, when he rotates goalies. Uh, the one with the shit fixture saves a penalty and gets three bonus. Exactly. Yeah, that is painful. Um, I think um, another question that's bring up from FPR is saying, what are your thoughts on locking a Liverpool Man City slot with a set and forget goalkeeper to first wildcard? Um, I think City more so than Liverpool because Liverpool, there are definitely nailed assets that I would want in all three positions outfield. City, I can see more of an argument for. I think you may have missed this part before you joined, but I was saying I'd still like to keep that third City slot open just in case like a Mares or a Foden or a Grealish appears and you know like they, they seem like a must-have and they're nailed I, I want to be able to get to them and I don't want to have to take a hit to sell a set and forget Edison you'd have to stick to that strategy so for me if I was going to spend that big money it would actually be Loris um, interestingly Mendy despite the five million price and um, he's all the way down in seventh in the power table ranking I think his minutes is probably harming him a bit here just because obviously he was away for AFCON so I do wonder if if we asked Mariner to kind of um tweak those minutes potentially um would that make him go far higher up the table based on the fact that his price is pretty insane value and equally like i do love the look at chilwell or james or both um so yeah may- maybe loris is the one for me from a set and forget um he talks about pickford at 4.5 yeah i think i agree 4.5 could be great but everton's just it's a no-go for me from a goalkeeper point of view at this stage uh, they really need to get their shit together um but yeah, I think Crystal Palace, um, whoever the goalkeeper will be, whether it's Gato or not, that could be a rogue differential shout. Um, Sanchez could be great if you wanted to go Sanchez um, instead of Raya. I think that's fair. But I just really like the Raya and Dunk combo over the alternative of kind of like a Sanchez and a Brentford defender personally. Um, mm. But that's just my two pence. Cool. Let's look at the defenders on the 5 million then in the similar ranking. And lo and behold... Um, you got Janssen here from Brentford as well. He's the 4.5 that uh, Mariner said stands up. I, yeah. I think, yeah, that, that's one thing worth noting. You've got Klein from Crystal Palace, Anderson from Crystal Palace, um, Gehi I like from Palace, Dunk we've already called out, Veltman 4.5. Ben White is here, um, although I prefer Tommy Yossi, who's not here. Um, Sessignon's here. Simikas is there, but obviously that's only interesting if Robbo suddenly gets injured long-term. Regulion's there, but this is where the metric kind of doesn't match the context of, like, the numbers don't understand that Conte does not look to use this guy long-term. Um, but, yeah, like, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, the only kind of teams that appear here, right, are Brentford, Crystal Palace, Brighton, mm-hmm. um, a cheap Spurs and Liverpool player, and yeah, Arsenal, I guess. Um, it, it, Villa's there with Mings, but I think I'd probably go five mil for Dean or Cash. <laughs> for the extra half a mil in the attacking yeah. threat. But is there anyone here that like you would be going with in game week one? Um, anything you're excited about? These, uh, by the way, there's a few versions of this table. I think this one's prioritizing the ranks based on like how nailed they were. Mm. So, so yeah, like focusing on, on nailedness. I, I think Jensen is, a, is really interesting. Um, I, I, I know he had, uh, he, he could like, you know, just watching him at the end of the last season, I felt like he was in the box quite a bit, um, and, and that's that's who I was going to bring up in the in the previous slide. Um, but moving down, it's I would love for Sessegnon to get to to nail down a spot. If Sessegnon nailed down a spot, that that's the Spurs defender I think that would be really interested in. Um, but other than that, it's um, 
you know, probably looking to, to get one of these. Brighton, I think, has the best fixtures. Um, but Ben White or Tomiyasu, I think they're, they could be interchangeable here. Ben White slash Tomiyasu, maybe play that they have the best team. Um, Jansen, there, there's a point of attacking. They all have they all have their their risk or their limitations, but at four or five, it, it's a good price point to to choose one. If I were to choose one, one four five. Right now, I've been on Tomiyasu. He's he's been nailed in, in most of my teams. Um, I might be tempted by it by Dunk. Um, I you know depending on what happened in the preseason, how how Arsenal and how Tomiyasu specifically looks. And if uh, if Perisic is is out out, um, and it looks like Sessegnon's going to get any time. Then I'm definitely interested in him. I think it's worth noting if this is based on the last six previous nailedness, makes sense why Tommy Asu is not here after he was coming back from his injury. Um, so this is sorted by the power rank now. So as opposed to how nailed they were and how many minutes they had, suddenly Sessignon flies right to the top, um, past oh. Regulion, <laughs> past Janssen, past Gay. So you know, if you forget nailedness. Suddenly, Sessignon is, is exactly what you said, right? Based on the power rank. Um, yeah. He, he is by far the most exciting. Um, Tomiyasu does appear here. He's quite far down. Um, I suppose he doesn't carry as much attacking threat. Um, more of an inverted right back. He kind of defends for Ben White pushing forward, right? Tucks in. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's that so much or if it's that the um, that Tierney... It, just gets too far forward on the left side. And so Tomiyasu has to hold back. Um, I, you know, I think I'd have to look into like maybe some heat maps and some, um, just to do a little tactical analysis to see why, why Tomiyasu is held back. Um, and, and is it only when Tierney plays or, or is he held back to cover for what like was Nuno Tavares playing or someone like that, that they, they needed cover. So maybe the entire line was shifted a little bit to the left to cover for that left side. And that shift to the left could hold Tomiyasu mm. back. Yeah, that's and, a really good tactical point, yeah. yeah and, and I'm not sure that may continue. And I think that that could, that's a potential uh, risk for Tomiyasu for sure. Interestingly, talking about the Brentford Crystal Palace rotation, based on the power rank alone in the last six game weeks, um, Janssen and Gaye, they're, they're definitely up there. It's viable that that could be done. Um, let's keep going. Um, so this is um, all teams, I guess. So for the people asking why weren't um, kind of say like Everton defenders in here, and then some people ask about Tarkovsky and stuff. I think these are all like the specific shortlisted teams that had the best FPRs, whereas this one now it's um, all teams. So right. this one you'll notice it does include uh, Mikelenko, Keane, Lorente from Leeds. It includes Castagna from Leicester. So this is obviously a bit more holistic, um, but yeah, again, Janssen and Sessignon, they just and Gay, they just whatever type of ranking we're using, whichever way we slice Mariner's metrics, these guys seem kind of like cut out at the top. Um, Castagna does come in near the top half, so he's definitely, I think, once the fixtures improve, those um, Leicester fullbacks they are one to watch. Um, Justin's a bit further down there, but um, again, just worth keeping in mind how they get on and. People are talking about Anderson having like a big eye for goal in the chat, but um, other people asking who the hell Tarkovsky is. I think Tarkovsky might cost five million or something, so maybe that's why he's not here, or he just does not rank well for Burnley, and we're using his Burnley data, I imagine. So, yeah, yeah, I don't see any Burnley players here, right? No, exactly. Um, yeah, I think 
let's let's keep going. Let's go to the more exciting price point because we're all going to have maybe one four point five if that. Some people might have two to rotate, but these are the kind of the under six million. So Doherty flies in straight at the top based on power rank for the last six. Um, you know, for five million again, he's basically this price points version of Sessignon, right? You kind of if you if you think he has no competition for right back and he's going to start the season there, he could be interesting. Um, you got Chalaboa from Chelsea's five no, I'm not so convinced there. Aki five more because Chelsea is still not so impressed. Um, I think I'd rather Mendy than either of the pair of them. Or spend the extra million on the more expensive uh, fullback. Alonso, I'm not sure if he'll still be there, but there's an argument that 5.5, if Chilwell was injured again or had a setback, that could be appealing. Janssen is so good and so assessing on that they still show up in this goddamn table despite there being more expensive players to compete against, right? Um, Tierney shows up. So, as I was saying, a lot of the algorithms love him early on. Dean shows up. So, kind of similar but you just see a few more Tottenham Chelsea City players um who are obviously more expensive and weren't in the 4.5 region and um, so Nehal says Tarkovsky is um 4.5 yeah so I just think Burnley's defensive numbers were too trash after they got relegated to show up in Mariners last I have Jansen and Tomiyasu in my in my draft mm. right now and your goalkeeper is still Lloris or Edison or I went I dropped it to Mendy Mendy okay that's interesting yeah see I'm kind of like tinkering between Mendy and Larissa and Raya now. It's like I keep moving between different mindsets. Um, yeah. Oh, I think Niels is looking at this on like a 32-inch 4K screen compared to his iPhone. And yeah, like I'm pretty sure this is not readable on a phone screen. I'll give you that oh, much. No. Um, I'm sure we should give Mariner the feedback that we had last season. Um, I think it's disappeared. Was on the right-hand column, we should list what's on the left-hand column again because when you're all the way over here, it's kind of hard to scan all the way back to see what person or team you yeah. were looking at. <laughs> so um, I know he's on holiday abroad with no internet speed. So fair play for him to still pulling this together for us and getting the pack out. Um, so these are all teams now. So we've gone from the selected teams again to all teams. Um, everyone's kind of still the same at the top, right? The only difference I see now is um, Cash has snuck in, Stones has snuck in, Trippier has arrived. Diego Lorente keeps showing up despite playing for Leeds. Um, so that's one I need to question later on. But um, I've seen a lot of teams with Kyle Walker. They're convinced he's nailed. Obviously, Cucurella hasn't signed. Um, but the talk of the town seems to be that if Cucurella signs, Cancelo will play right back. But we don't know what Pep will really do. And as it stands, if Cucurella doesn't sign, could you be tempted by Walker at two million less than Cancelo? Hmm. Walker. Yeah. I mean, who knows what's gonna happen with with what? Like that's that's one of those unknown. Um. Like at at right back, will Zinchenko come in to the left side? Will will he get some minutes? Will Cancelo move over? I just think it's it's too much too many questions to waste on a city spot. I think when you you get a city spot, go for as as nailed as you can like you know the the talisman the talisman of the defense Cancelo right um you could you could argue Diaz potentially a little bit as well but not not Walker not not a fringe player on a premium team um just just to try to get a bargain I don't think so I get get the best players from the best teams to start the season yeah no I think I'd, I'd agree um seeing if there's anyone else here that's interesting that we've not already discussed um I guess the main thing is even from six million and under, 
these kind of crystal palace and uh, Brentford lads, they keep showing up. They keep, they are definitely ones to think about. And although the people in the chat say they have some of these players in their team, um, I'm not convinced I've seen them in many teams in the kind of Twitter template. So these could be a nice edge for some of us to go down that route. Let's keep monitoring preseason, obviously. Um, so this kind of defenders, again, all shortlisted teams. So this has everyone, including above six million. And you'll see that people like Akin and Doherty still show up despite being five million. Um, Diaz comes in top. Uh, Matip, your boy, comes in second. This is power rank, by the way, for last six. Cancelo third. Uh, Doherty fourth. Robertson fifth. Laporte sixth. Van Dijk's up there. Reese James is up there. Trent is up there. Chilwell. Who else do we have? Anyone more expensive? No. The rest of them are all the cheaper assets. So, yeah, I think from my point of view, there is a real debate to be had about kind of Diaz or Laporte over Cancelo. Like, do do we want to pay the one million extra? Um, personally, I've looked at some teams I can make where, like, let's say I have a six or seven million mid. If I didn't have Cancelo and I had Diaz or Laporte, that one million came like an eight million mid or a much better mid. I liked them, but Cancelo just feels so talismanic. Like, he felt like he was the best playmaker at City after De Bruyne. And I wouldn't be shocked if he can do kind of 200-plus point seasons like Trent and Robbo. So... For me personally, with there being no Champions League for the first four weeks, I, I just think it will be madness for me to go without Cancelo. But obviously, if you can use that one million and it goes a long way and you can start with Diaz or Laporte, sure. Again, like, what about people who want to double up, Gabe? Like, anyone who wants to go with maybe Cancelo and Diaz or Cancelo and Laporte? So let's throw Walker out of that conversation. Hmm. That's a lot of money, right? It's to, to put on, on the back line and, and they don't... I don't know. I mean, I think it's for the um, for the nailedness. I, I guess it I guess it makes sense. Um, I, I I wouldn't fault anyone for go for for going in that direction. I guess, especially at, looking at the rankings here, um, and, and a double a double up could be a way to differentiate for sure. Yeah, I think Nils mentions what if Pep is Pep and rotates Cancelo again. So I don't know about again. Cancelo had like the most minutes for City last season. I think um, he basically like for the. For a while, he played like 90 minutes every week. Um, he wasn't even getting subbed off. So I think when players arrive in Pep's system, like they do take a time to bed in and maybe he wanted to see something from him and it took a while to get that. But at this point, I think he's one of the first names on the team sheet, especially with no Champions League for the first four weeks. Maybe that changes with a midweek game every single week after game week four. But again, like um, it just, I think... I wouldn't be going no City defender. I, I can see a total reasonable argument to get Diaz or Laporte um, instead or Edison, whatever. But for me personally, it will be Cancelo in my team. He's not going anywhere. But as long as you have a City defender based on the FDRs we've seen, that you know they're, they're going to challenge for the title. They're going to have the most clean sheets on at Liverpool. So you just need a City defender, a Liverpool defender. You can be interesting about what you do with it. I think I think the the presence of Holland is is a good is is a big boost for Cancelo because Holland needs he's he's one of the fastest players on the planet right and he needs what but he needs I mean he's he's got good burst as well but to get really that like when you when you watch him in the Bundesliga and he would he just glide by players but he needs space and I think those balls into space from Cancelo are, are going to be there and I think the the Cancelo to Holland. Uh, connection will be on. So I'm, I'm with you. Cancelo's not going anywhere in my team. He's, he's nailed in there. I think, if anything, I'd say he underperformed um, his numbers um, 
as yeah. opposed to like not being sustainable. So I'm very excited by him. Um, I do agree though, Niels is right. I think he needs 2021 season. Um, so perhaps that was still time when he was bedding in a bit. But I think at this point in time, he's going to be one of the most trusted players for Pep. And until Champions League kicks in, um, I'd be very excited by him. Um, so let's look at... Um, so that was power ranking. This is sorted by um, on the field. So I think it's production of the teams. Um, in this scenario, Matip and Chalabur and Doherty, Diaz, James, they all rise up. Janssen bloody flies up the table past nearly every premium apart from James and Matip. Um, yeah, this this one's wild for me. Um, I think what this is telling me is that like Perisic at 5.5 is great and all, but if Doherty has got that position nailed for his own and there's no one competing with him, at 5 million, that just seems like I would have to start with him with the fixtures they have. If, if I know that he's the only right back going into the start of the season, um, I'd be a bit tempted, you know. Matip, I'm not even going to mention because I know he did you well, but I, I, I just can't see a world where like my third Liverpool spot will go to Matip. I, I know he could do well, but he's obviously more expensive than he was last season too now. Yeah, I mean, I, I bought him at 4.9 last season. He's 6.0 this season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a pretty big difference. And then we also don't know. So, I mean, last season we had an idea. We saw Matip line, you know, he'd start in the league and we saw Konate start in the Champions League. And that was a pretty nailed pattern for, for quite some time. So so there was there was more um, certainty in, in, in Matip. I think there, there are more questions around Matip to start this season. But yeah, yeah Jansen just keeps flying by, like, he, he's above he's above Robertson, he's above Cancelo, he's above Chilwell, Alonso. Um, and this is, oh, this is by team productivity? Yeah. Team productivity. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and can Brentford pick up where they left off last season, I think is also, um, is also a question. I'm not sure about that. I think there's a little bit of risk on that front when you're talking about a team productivity perspective. Yeah, no, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think Nils is trying to tinker a bit and see maybe he can get Cancelo back in. But um, I did do a drop of Diaz, as I say, and it gave me an 8 mil mid. But in the end, I kind of saw that if I had Cancelo, I'd have about 7 million. And that was with a 4.5 keeper. So I looked at like the likes of Grealish and I wasn't convinced. When I then had to go up to a better goalkeeper, like a kind of Mendy or um, Loris or even Edison, I did then see I could only afford like a six mil mid, but I kind of thought, I don't mind Martinelli at six mil to start the season. Um, obviously, he could be rotated, but I, I really think he's gained Arteta's trust. And I thought, you know, why not? Those fixtures are great. And I'd rather kind of have um, Cancelo and Martinelli than say Grealish and Laporte or Grealish and Diaz. Like, it just right. feels so much stronger as a combo for me, personally. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, um, I think Mariner said this, um, I know maybe I'm a bit more template than some players, but essentially, like, we always say FPL can't be won in game week one, but it can be lost. And in the first four game weeks, if you're going to take a big punt that you don't think that Cancelo is going to haul like he did before or Haaland isn't going to haul like we might think, you're betting against, like, half the field in this. So, like, Cancelo is, like, the second most owned defender now. He's 46% after Trent at five. Mm -hmm. If, if you don't have Perisic either, you're in a scenario where like Cancelo is 46%, Perisic is 45%, James is 43%. If you only have one of those four in your team and they all perform well, over those first four weeks, you're going to be in the millions ranking. You're going to be playing massive catch-up. So 
for me, like I like to kind of stick with the template in the first few weeks and maybe start to find like the bargains or the value or the interesting assets a few weeks in. Um, maybe even save a transfer in game week two and take a minus four for a mini wildcard in game week three. I know late riser, he um, last season had a great season as well and he changed his um, approach. So he came 30th in the world two years ago. Then he finished like 700k odd. And that season, what he did was he went against Salah in game week one. He didn't own him. He didn't captain him. He kept making choices like that to chase upside. And what he took from that was that he wanted to start risk managing a bit differently and he would still be maverick as he is. But his approach was something similar to maybe my own, which is we're both very template to start now. Maybe we have two or three differentials in our team at the beginning out of the 11, but we only really start to get aggressive a bit later on once we have more info. Because that's the other thing I was saying to you, Gabe, right? Like everything we know, all the research, all the preseason matches, all that data means nothing once game week one starts. And suddenly we're going to have a whole new bed of data to use with just one week sample size. So by the time you get to game week four, you've got four week sample size and it starts to become a bit more consistent and you can start looking for patterns. And maybe that's when you say, oh, I don't think Cancel is worth it. Champions League just started. I'll downgrade a bit to a different city defender, but mm-hmm. I'll wildcard to a different team structure. But I just feel like in those first four weeks, you can truly fall behind. Uh, it's not meant to be a fear tactic, but if you're kind of going against some of the higher own players, I would say if you back your conviction, great, go for it. But I would also ask yourself, do you back your conviction enough to accept it for every 20-point haul they might get, 50% of the field is gaining points on you? So it's like, that's the way I would look at it. Now, Diaz, I think he's like 9% owned. Laporte is 5%. I have had Chilwell in my draft this whole time. Um, he's only like 12% owned. James is 43% owned. And I'm asking myself a similar question there. I'm like, they're the same price, same position fullback. Chilwell has like nine points per game um, average or something, or per 90, compared to James's six. He's coming back from a long-term injury. Do I need, like, do I back my conviction of Chilwell enough to be willing to let 43% of the field get James points on me? Like, Chilwell won't hurt if I go for James, but the other way around could. So part of me is kind of thinking if this season is prone to a quarterly view where you're mm. going to potentially wild card in the first quarter, get unlimited transfers in the second quarter after the World Cup, and then get another bunch of wild card changes three quarters in. Do I just kind of attack the fact that these best teams with the best defenders have the best fixtures and the higher owned assets is probably wisdom of the crowd as opposed to FOMO. And that's, I think, what, what I'm trying to get at is that the conclusion is you need to decide, are these percentages rising? Because casuals are opening the game, they see James is 43%, so more of them buy him, and it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Or is there actually something in it that says, no, like, Chilwell is as good or better than James. Why is the difference so big? Hmm. I think that's a much more pointed question, because they're the same price, as opposed to Cancelo and Diaz and Laporte. Um, but that's just something I thought I'd put out there. Like, for me, I just don't want to be left behind the pack in the beginning. And last season, for instance, my lowest rank was game week one um so it's like if you can start off well if the template bangs and you're not there with it like it's going to be a long way back um and if it flops everyone flops with you i know some people don't want to play in that way but i see fpl like poker and i'm playing the field doesn't matter what hand i have if it beats everyone else then fair play squeezing one two three funky differentials but for me, at the cost of a player that can get 200 points across the season like Cancelo, that's not for me. But that was just a long rant about more than defenders, like just the general way I like to play FPL. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, to add to that, I think you then you have to then you have to oh, fix your team and make transfers in defensive areas as attacking players are maybe starting to pop and, and gaining form, and you can't jump on them because you're busy fixing your defense. And and I, I would say like in terms of risk, think of it as like a, almost like a finance like a, a you know you don't just don't invest a lot of money in the risk. So don't don't take your risk. Don't make your punt a maybe 10 million player. Maybe you don't start with, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying not to start with Sterling, but it's a punt. It's a big punt and you're going to make a sacrifice on a, on an expensive, on a premium, highly owned player. So then that'll be another thing that, that you have to fix as well. Um, you know, I, I have, you know, for example, the, I think the, the, the 5.5 million that, that with the highest midfielder with the highest ownership is Neto, right? Neto hasn't been in any of my drafts. I, I'll go for, I'll go for Wissa. I'll go for that. There are other 5.5 million players that, you know, that we talked about today as well, that, um, that that's where I'll be taking at least my early season punts. The, the yeah. Neto's like 23% owned. Let's say Wiss is only like few percent owned. That's less of a gamble because 22% isn't the end of the world. And, I don't rate like a uh, Neto over Wissa as much as like say Cancelo over Diaz. Right. Um, just the difference in the potential I see in my mind um, and the 60% ownerships and things like that, like the damage that can be done, the the value I believe those players have, um, they're very different. Um, whereas with a Chilwell and James, maybe I'll pussy out basically and um, go for James because of the ownership because I'm like, well, I don't want to be left behind. And even though I back my conviction with Chilwell, I'll fix that wild card later and, so with Neto and Worcester, I think it's more accessible to make that kind of punt. Um, in the midfield, just on that same point quickly, I know it's a defensive show, but Salah's obviously 59%. There's some no, no Mo drafts out there. Um, Diaz is 32%, which is probably why we've not seen many Robertson drafts. Sun is 26% still. Neto, 22%. Bruno Guimaraes is 22%. Coutinho is 20%. Saka, 17%. Andreas um, Pereira, 16%. So in the midfield, it doesn't feel as intense, uh, the template. Sun mm. is up there at about quarter ownership, Diaz the third, but generally it's okay. And then just finally forwards is worth wrapping on as well. Haaland's 65%, Jesus is 55%, um, Creamwood to enable them both is 28%, Kane 16%, Darwin 15%. Um, so again, it just kind of feels like in the forward and backline areas, those templates are very entrenched. Um, mm. So I think perhaps you are right in looking for your differential points in the midfield personally, just based on what we're seeing in the early season so far. But let, let's keep going through. There's a few smaller bits. So defender summary. Yes, I think I'll go back to the two heads. We'll take some live chat questions. There was a chat question from Twitter as well. So let me just find the question from Twitter. I had it somewhere. Um, so the one Twitter question was from a, a Danube, Blue Danube guy, or Danube oh. Joe on Twitter. Yeah, he says, who are going to be the whipping boys this coming Premier League season? For me, it will be the promoted teams as well as Everton and Southampton, does it make sense to target those fixtures, right? So all three promoted teams and then Everton and Southampton to target. So let's, I guess, quickly just pull up the defensive FDR for the first five for all the teams, right? So have a quick look at that in, in his theory. So Southampton's there at minus 9.4. Everton's there at minus 3.3. It's not so bad compared to them. And then the promoted teams, you've got kind of minus 9.2 for Forest. Minus seven point seven for Fulham, minus ten point one for Bournemouth. So I think at least at the very start, until the fixtures turn, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that's another reason why I'm so keen on the likes of Cancelo and Haaland in my game week one team because 
Hallam just feels like a lock in captaincy for me in game week two. Um, I know some are thinking about Kane to captain against Southampton in game week one instead of Salah against Fulham. And then they might move Kane to Haaland, but I don't want to be booking in a transfer like that. You don't know what other fires mm. might come up. Um, but yeah, the FDR kind of agrees with him, doesn't it? Um, in terms of which teams to be targeting, at least for the first five defensively. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything to teams to target outside of those, but otherwise I'll get some live chat questions if anyone has any questions, guys. Yeah, throw the questions in there. I know, I know we had a few. I've put stars on, on some of them. Yeah, I've gone through and started quite a few. Um, let, let's see, some of them are from way back in the show. Some of these aren't even questions. Some of these are just fun things I thought I'd bring up. Like, Fred gets a lot of flag. He's played out of position. I think Fred was one of United's better players last season. I agree. He, he might have a great season. Um, Kevin Rose Fred, as well. Fred, next, next to a, a real uh, central midfielder or defensive midfielder, I think Fred could actually do some really, really good things. I agree with Mihal there. Well, he dinked the hell out of um, Allison yesterday, but um, we'll allow that. Um, we'll allow that. Totally they start their fine. strongest fine. team. Kevin Rose, FPL Sapper. Um, we'll give you a shout out to start the show before you arrive, but nice to see a Haller member here. Good to see Charles Kelly. I'm going to ask about Ramsdale. I think in the power ranking tables, he was up there, but I'm more convinced by the likes of Tommy Arsu. Personally, I agree with Nehal. Mad Madison is great. Um, I, I just think I can move to him later if needed. We talked about Saliba. We talked about Holland, or Holland um, from Armand's pronunciation lesson. Nehal makes another great point. So, barring the top four teams, which we're kind of heavily going for in our back lines, um, it is very subjective for the mid-table teams. Um, like, if some of the ones we've said have bad FDRs start off well and start off on fire, the conversation will change very quickly, which is, I think, what I was trying to get at. That mm -hmm. All of this is just assumptions until we see the first ball kickoff and our minds are going to change significantly after game week one. So I, I would kind of just keep a flexible structure that you can move between players. Um, FPL escapades is team value more important than ever with the extra wildcard uh, during the wildcard uh, World Cup even. So, um, yeah, um, I, I, I don't see why not. I think for me, like the beginning of the season is a great time to build team value. Um, in case you missed the escapades, um, we did have a very small section on building team value at the end of the kind of team structures and fixture block uh, episode last week. So I'll put a link to that in the chat for everyone. But go, go have a look. I think we were really proud of last week's episode. I think it was one of the best ones we've ever done. Like, there was a lot of good feedback in the first hour. It was really good content. So if you've not seen that episode, please do go check it out. Um, but it's, it's, it, is an, it is an interesting point because we'll have, you know, a wild card is like an opportunity to spend your money. This, the money that you've been accumulating, you know, oftentimes you don't want to sell a player because you've accumulated value in him. And having kind of an extra unlimited transfer session, it's like an extra shopping spree. So is is having a little more coin more important since you get an extra shopping spree? I think I think it could be. Yeah, no, it's an opportunity to make a wild card twice in the first 17 weeks, which we normally never get. So mm -hmm. I would definitely adapt to the season with that in mind. Um, also on Shelby. Um, I think for me, like Bruno Guimaraes, especially that ownership, he's definitely someone worth considering alongside Martinelli at the six million price point. I think that's kind of who I would go for. I'm not sure how much Shelby costs, Tom, but do let me know if he's cheaper than six million. He he may well be. Um, he's more of a. I feel like he's a Hollywood passer to me, like Lord Voldemort himself, just with the crossfield uh, diagonal long ball. But um, I'm not convinced from from an FPL point of view. Um, 
Tomlinson says five, five million. Five million. Five million. Um, at five million, I'd be more tempted with um, Bailly from Villa if he doesn't also break down with his Bailey. injury. Leon, Bailey, yeah. Leon, Leon, Leon Bailey. Bailey. I think that's a great shout, actually, and and I'm sure you know uh, we'll get some midfielders next week, but um, but Bailey Bailey could be really interesting on Villa's right side. I'm excited to see how he does in the power rankings when we're not necessarily looking at minutes and nailedness. Um, Tom talking about Kane, Salah, Haaland. Is it worth it to have a lesser team? Um, I think the only thing I would say here is so in the first episode, so two episodes before this one, um, we looked at team structures, and that's another great one to look at. We have five or six different team structures, including one premium, two premium, three premium. And th- there is an argument to have all three. I think the main points we made then was that you're only ever going to captain one. You probably only need a captaincy rotation of two. You could probably map out your six weeks of captaincy with just two. If you're not captaining them, they're not necessarily, in my opinion, worth the 12, 13 million price point um, if they're never going to be captained. So maybe not for me, but it depends on what you're doing. Because the teams I saw that looked like this, like they had like Walker instead of Cancelo. They had Matip instead of Trent. They had a 4.5 goalkeeper. They had um, they had a midfield of like, say, Salah, um, like a six mil and a 5.5 and then two 4.5 mil mids and a 4.5 mil uh, forward. So th- there was a few kind of situations where you think to yourself, my 10th and 11th player are both very cagey. Like I'm having to roll out like two 4.5 defenders every week or I'm having to roll out a 5.5 and a six mil midfielder every week and you can't even rotate them. Like you have to play them every week. So Maybe tweet us some drafts, which include all three. We can have a think. Um, we'll do some rate my teams of the haulers drafts closer to game week one. Like last season, it went down really well. We got a guest and people sent in like 30 different drafts. And we went through and gave them like ratings out of 10 and had a few drinks. And towards the end, a lot of people were getting one out of 10 as people got progressively drunker. But um, so it's Niels's question on Mares, Foden, Grealish. Um, this is a tough one. Um, Morris shows up every preseason in game week one, and then Pep just proceeds to not play him for a while. It's just painful for me. I know we say Sterling and Jesus have left, but Alvarez has arrived. I could see Foden play right wing potentially with Grealish on the left and Haaland in the middle. There's still options, I think, for Morris to not be that guy. I think Foden is one of Pep's favorite players. Um, if I was to pick between those two at 8 million, I'd personally go for Foden. I'd be reluctant on either, if I'm honest. I'd still pick Sakura Diaz as the standout at that price point. Yeah. Grealish at 7 million, he's interesting. Um, if we believe in the idea that it takes two seasons to bed into Pep's system, I think he played him all eight of the first games last season. Maybe now is the time where Grealish comes onto his own. But he did have three goals and three assists last season. And he didn't quite light up the world, but he was trusted quite a lot. So mm-hmm. I think Grealish at 7 million, that's one of the reasons these three players you mentioned, Niels, they're why I don't want to go for Edison because... Having Cancelo and Haaland in my team, I want to leave that third spot. And I don't want that first City attacker in game week one. I just want to monitor it. And their fixtures are great in the long term. So once we identify who might be the best third attacker from City, I'll probably lump into them. But I, I don't want to make that call in game week one personally. Um, I think regarding the bench that Jello talks about, something that is interesting um, with the five subs, um, I imagine a lot of our starting 11 will get minutes and cameos, even if they don't start. I'll put my neck out on the line and say that I can't see anyone using their second bench player before game week like eight. Like I, I just don't see it. And definitely not before game week five when Europe hasn't started for the first four weeks. Um, 
I, I just think R11 are going to get minutes, even if it's a cameo. So that's why I'm not so concerned about like having like a 4.5 defender and Andreas Pereira and Greenwood on my bench. And I, I just don't think I'm ever going to need to rely on them. So I'm happy enough with that. Um, okay. So, oh, yeah. So Escapades did watch last week's episode. Thanks for that. Mayhaw's already got Leon Bailey. Uh, we don't seem so keen on it. I will say, like, obviously, don't take what we're saying for gospel. Elrond covered him. Gabriel, and if you look at the lessons learned episode, we did tell him that his Spurs bias tanked his season a bit. He did still finish top 1%, but he's going to work on his Spurs bias because two seasons in a row has really slapped him in the face, hasn't it? Yep. <laughs> and I have Spurs bias. I'm an Arsenal fan. So obviously, don't take my word for it. But I just I, I just think Donald here, 5 million, if I know he's going to be starting right back, I really like the look of him. I did, I did say, to be fair, that if you're going to go for Perisic at that ownership, it is a threat to not have him. And that's why I'm tempted by Lloris, because I need some kind of cover. I don't know if I can go in without Perisic or Lloris. But equally, I'm, I'm more of a kind of cheap backline kind of guy. So I have my three premium defenders in Chilwell or James, Trent and Cancelo. But then I have two 4.5s. So I just don't want to like spend an extra million on that 4.5 being upgraded to Perisic when I'm perfectly happy rotating the two 4.5s for that fourth defender spot. Mm -hmm. And like that extra million is going to get me like a Lloris instead of a Raya. It's going to, like for me, it's kind of like, I think Lloris over Raya is more beneficial for me than like say Perisic who might, once the Champions League starts in game with five onwards, be more likely to not play full 60s or sub on. Um, I just don't see enough upside there. So I'm happy enough with the 4.5 defenders and, but don't not go for them because of us. I'd say the other thing is like, obviously, you know your own play style and how you like to play FPL. And I, I would stick to your own strategies. I'm just very much a backery kind of guy, despite bigger the back being popular. Um, so, so it's just not for me. But um, yeah, I think Perisic could be great. He could haul his ass off silly, but it's just really not for me. Okay. I'll submit another one. Cool. Okay. Um, thank you, FPL Penguin hopefully we'll we'll come back on your show soon or have you on as well looking for some guests this season for sure um i think greedish is seven mil by the way not 7.5 un unless i'm mistaken but um uh, at, at that kind of concept i don't know if bernardo will still be there gundo at seven bernardo at seven they're not for me um oh yeah no so gundo is a 7.5 yeah so you you could ditch edison on the first wild card so you could just go for him and then ditch him on an early wild card get that other city attacker once you know who's the right one um two more final questions i'm going to take before we get out of here so penguin says best eight million mid to go for mares kulisevsky or madison yes salo and jesus and therefore he doesn't want the other sack to double up mm. what are your thoughts on mares kulisevsky or madison um knowing that obviously he doesn't want the other two that we've said are prime targets for us i mean i think of those three um Salah Jesus. I'm assuming he doesn't have Holland. He doesn't have Holland. Um, Amar is too risky. I think you go with the safe option. I think that's probably who who I would favor. I just overcame some Spurs bias there. I almost said Mars, but uh, but I'll say Kulusevski. No, I'm proud of you. I think I would probably still say Madison, um, but mm. I'm not overcoming my Spurs bias there. That's probably oh, why. Yeah. Um, Emerson, Royale, Doherty rotation. They're, they're definitely not for me. I, I just don't think you can rotate players that are going to sub on after 60 minutes to get a cameo anyway. You're just going to get screwed up anyway. And you're going to basically have a 
bench player that just you're never going to get off the bench because the one who they're supposed to be rotating with we all cameo at some point. <laughs> no, I, I think I think he's he's wondering if, if Conte will rotate. Oh, I see. I thought um, he, was, he wanted both of them. I thought, okay. No, no. So, so, and, I, and I think he brings up a good point. Um, Emerson uh, and and Doherty. I mean, Conte rotates his wing backs. He's gonna he's gonna rotate uh, probably Sessegnon and Perisic on the left, and Emerson Royal and and Doherty on the right. Right. I see. Yeah. No, that that makes sense. Um, and again, this just adds to me the reason why I'm a bit nervous on the Spurs fullbacks, but I do like their defensive FTR. So Lloris is hotting up for me in my head. Um, yeah. Jello Pioch says it was about not wanting to make a transfer game one. Yeah, so, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, like ideally you wouldn't make a transfer after the first game with Tika Save up. Um, but for me, like, I guess because my bench is like literally Tomiyasu and Dunk rotating, um, I guess there is a bench player if someone got injured and I could just play them. But I'd be careful because. Normally, like the inactive players start disappearing at each international break if they've had a bad game week, especially. So those 0.3 million rises and drops, they are going to happen in the first few weeks. So if you get an injured player who's 50% owned, yes, you could use your bench, but yes, he could also drop 0.3 and his replacement could go up 0.3 by the time you've saved that transfer to use your bench. So like I agree, ideally you wouldn't want to use it, but if it's looking like 700,000 people are transferring someone out and he's out long term, like, I would rather just get rid there and not suck up the drops because I think we said on the last few shows, a 0.1 drop in the first few weeks, that's actually a 0.5 drop because if you've got like an 8-0 player and they drop 7.9, you can no longer get to any of the 8 million midfielders in that same price point. Um, you're now stuck at the 7.5 price point. So it's a big drop um, in reality. Um, yeah, I think I prefer Foden over Mares. If you said Foden, uh, Kulusevski or Madison, I may have picked Foden there instead of Madison. I would have picked those as well. So FPL A+, a Vardy punt for the front three spot. So I think the problem is, like, I think it's, it's fine, but it's just, like, who are you getting instead? So, like, if you've got, like, a Jesus and Vardy, like, can you get to Haaland the Kane if they explode? Um, you have to take a hit or, like, rip money out elsewhere if you want big at the back. Um, if you've got Haaland and Vardy, you're spending a lot more on your front line than everyone with Haaland and Jesus. So, again, I think it can work. But where is your sacrifice? Because like these kind of teams, they all sound great, but there's bound to be a sacrifice somewhere. Um, FPL Pharmacist, another regular of the show, Trent plus three, 4.5 million defenders, and then one of the extra premium attackers. So I guess you could look at this as like Trent plus Cancelo or Trent plus Chilwell or James, and then three, 4.5. So, um, I think the difficulty there is like, although we found lots of rotations for defenders across like two teams, you're going to be rotating in two out of three probably because i doubt you're playing a back three with three 4.5s like you're probably going to be playing two of them every week um so it's tough because like i don't know how many teams have a freeway rotation where two of the teams have a good fixture one has a bad one you can do that easily with 4.5s like like maybe you could sneak in like a west ham for that newcastle spurs trio and maybe the newcastle uh, arsenal trio as well there's a few options but Depends what you're getting. Like, if that funds like a triple premium, then maybe I'd be tempted. But um, if you've still only both, got three both, premiums, despite that, both approaches make sense. It just depends what you're doing with the extra money and what, how you're investing it. So, um, I, from my perspective, I'll probably go with um, Trent, Cancelo, two four fives, and maybe a four point zero, 
I do I do want um I do want a stake in the 4.0 starter starting defender be it Patterson or Nico Williams or whomever yeah I mean that's an interesting point if I was going to go down the route he's just mentioned I would still rather just have two 4.5s and just have a four million bench and squeeze out the half more elsewhere because I think at the start of the season is a good time to milk out your money in the starting eleven, not on the bench. Um, what do you think? Nils of has so two four point For because you can only play free, um, you have to play free defenders, and if for some reason one of them does not cameo one, that would scare me a bit. But there are four point you, You'd think one of Patterson or uh, Neko Williams will sub on. Hopefully, um, you would or, think or so. Yeah, uh, a sub from a different, you know, in a, in a different position. For like you know maybe of them uh, Andres Pereira then. But it's or... what I mean. So they can't sub on because if if you don't, you have to play free. Oh, it has, it has to be the defender. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So so that's why it worries yeah. me a little bit too much yeah, for the right. for the sake of 0.5. That just feels like you might have a 10 player game week. It yeah. kind of scares me. Um, Harry Wilson's here at six million at Fulham. Um, he's one percent owned. Could be a cheeky differential. That's the exact spot that I think differentials can be good. The fixtures, I guess Liverpool home first isn't great. If you can rotate him with someone like a 4.5 defender that has a better first fixture and then play him in the better games, sure. But Fulham have a horrendous first seven weeks. Um, that Their best fixtures are Brentford home, Brighton home, which aren't exactly great. If it's Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, it's just not for me. Like when you've got Martinelli and Bruno Guimaraes at that price point, when you've got Fornals, uh, Neto Wisser at those price points, like obviously fair play to you like i don't want you to just anyone who asks rate my team right this is the problem with uh, twitter and stuff is like everyone's always going to say the players that you have that they have a great and the players that you have that they don't you should change to the players they have so take what i say with a pinch of salt like there's going to be bias i'm going to obviously like justify picking the players i have rather than the ones you have but go with your gut like these are the positions to have fun in um this is literally one of the two or three positions in my 11 that would be the fun punt at a lower ownership so don't be like pressed to copy the Twitter template. Equally, I would say what we see on the Twitter template isn't like um, necessarily reflective of the masses playing the game. And, and um, I think also Harry Wilson, I mean, he was so important for them in, in the championship last season. Um, I want to see how, how they adapt to the Premier League, especially in those difficult matchups, but also a prime candidate for, uh, for a wild card, uh, game week eight, game week nine, and then they go on a nice run of fixtures after the tough start. So... Um, easy, easy to wait and see with Harry Wilson. Great. I think I'll get us out of here. Um, there's a few good comments in the chat. Um, they don't seem like they have question marks in them. So seeing as we're two hours, two minutes in, I'll let you guys see yourselves out on that one. But um, if you find the show helpful, um, please do kind of hit like. Um, if you've been here with us for the whole two hours, we, we've had a great time with you very uh, lively in the chat. Um, if you are on kind of Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate a review on there. It really helps us get found by new people who aren't on YouTube or aren't on Twitter and some new audiences. Um, thank you to our 15 members and our super haulers as well. Um, do do kind of get in touch in the next week or so as Marin is back from holiday. I'll start to send out the invites to the Discord community for the members and we'll start to get the ball rolling. And once we've got it in place, I think we may extend a few channels for free to everyone who watches and keep some of the kind of other channels for... Um, the members on YouTube. But for now, we were net that hall. This was obviously the goalkeeper and defenders show and some more matchups from Gabriel. Next week, we'll be back with Mariner. Probably, I think we're looking at maybe next Thursday, a late one at 11 p.m. UK, because obviously that would be Singapore morning on Friday for him. We're going to look at midfielders. We're going to go through the FDRs again. 
power tables, value, form, everything. So there'll be a few more matchups as well. The teams are going to be getting very exciting and the tactics of those teams are going to be very fun. But um, honestly, guys, it's been a pleasure. We, we love having you guys here interacting with us. It's, it's a true privilege to be able to chat with our friends live and just talk about the game we all love and just meet so many fellow enthusiasts. And you guys are honestly, your support means so much that you're just here every week chatting away. And we couldn't do it without you, honestly. You, you keep us motivated. So I hope you enjoy the rest of the preseason shows. And other than that, big love to everyone and see, see you next week. <laughs>